Lords, ladies, and lowlifes, I'd like to welcome you to the second season of How Not to Start a Damn Brewery, the podcast. When my brewery was facing extinction for the third of five times, I poured my heart into a book by the same name and released it on Amazon and Kobo in August of 2021. That was my sordid tale about the mistakes I made and the punches I took over a 10-year career in craft beer. It was tough to write, but it was a story that needed to be shared and it contained lessons I wanted to make sure others could learn from. I truly hope you grab a copy and reach out and let me know your thoughts. In this podcast, I wanted to share the stories of struggle, strife, and sacrifice that other owners and operators have experienced. Some of the content is emotional, and some of it is inspirational. And I'm confident that if you listen closely, you'll find all of it to be educational. I want to take the time to honestly thank you for being here, and thanks for listening, subscribing, sharing, and liking the podcast. With your help and the help of our guests, I truly hope that we can teach the world how not to start a damn brewery. Hey everybody, our guest today is Alan Ward from the Brigadoon Brewery and Brew School. Alan's brewery is likely one of the most unique beer producers in the whole United States. He's located on the grounds of the Texas Renaissance Festival, only open 19 days a year, and even brews some of his beer on equipment and using techniques that's over 500 years old. Alan has served as president of the District Texas of the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, and he hosts a bi-weekly radio show reviewing beer. So obviously he knows how to make beer, and he knows how to taste beer, but it's his experience opening and subsequently closing a second location south of Houston that interested me in having him as a guest on our show. His story offers some insights and experiences to everything from dealing with city government to the challenges of self-distribution. So please open your mind and ears, because Alan is about to teach us all how not to start a damn brewery. So do you ride motorcycles? Because if you do, you want the sickest gear on the planet. And SimpsonMotorcycleHelmets.com is the site for you. Break free from the pack with your kick-ass style and design that is as subtle as a sucker punch. When you're out on the open road, don't let anyone confuse you with your grandpa. Project an attitude that's all your own. With their signature style and performance, Simpson sets the standard of looking cool while providing superior comfort and protection. Authenticity counts, and there are many helmet brands out there, but there is only one Simpson. You ride a killer bike, don't you? Why settle for a boring helmet? Pick your poison at SimpsonMotorcycleHelmets.com. Badass riders don't settle for anything less. See for yourself on Instagram at Simpson underscore motorcycle underscore helmets. Thanks for riding with us. We'll see you out there. So Alan, I want to thank you for talking. Thanks for sharing. And thanks, most of all, for giving 17 or 18 beautifully indignant fucks about helping all of my guests be better in their careers. Oh, that's a lot of fucks. I don't know. I'm going to charge you for that. I'm going to get 15. We're going to go out that high. We'll see by the end how you feel. Okay. But, uh, so a big reason I want to talk to you today is that I wanted to really dissect what happened down in Pasadena and kind of what, what you learned from that and what can be taught from that. But I think first, I really want to hear about your history as far as like how it relates to brewing specifically and, and how you came to uh, have the place here at the Texas Renaissance Festival, which is probably one of the most unique breweries I've, I've interviewed yet. And we'll see if I can find one more, in, more unique and different than that as I go forward. I, I challenge you to do that. Let, let me know. I started brewing at home about 22 years ago. My wife made a mistake. We've been married a little less than a year. Well, a little over a year, I guess, really going on almost two years. And she had three kids when I married her and we had a kid together right away. And she said, you need a hobby. <laughs> the kids are driving you crazy. You need a hobby. For Christmas, they got me a Mr. Beer kit. And I get Mr. Beer kit out on 
uh, New Year's Eve that same year at 2000 and brewed me a beer. The spot and optimator clone? No, it was <laughs> it was a it was a Mr. Beer Kit beer. <laughs> it was I don't know what it was supposed to be, but it was a Mr. Kit bit beer. Uh, Mr. Beer Kit beer. Some kind of ale. I will tell you this, it was not that great. I'm not finding Mr. Beer Kit beers to be that great. Yeah, it's a challenging way. I mean, now you know how to make beer. Yeah, like, yeah. shouldn't have worked. So oh, we brewed it, and my daughter, who was in diapers, uh, helped pitch the yeast for our first batch. <laughs> and then I wanted to find the alcohol content because I taught science. And I needed a hydrometer, and Mr. Beer Kits don't count with one. They don't give a rat's fuck what, yeah. what, what alcohol level is. So we went the next day. Uh, well, let's just say the next day, a second. I pulled a sample off, put it aside, and I put the yeast in it. And we went in search on January 3rd. I looked online. I looked everywhere I could find. Keep in mind now, there was no Amazon back then. You, you couldn't, you could not get something delivered overnight. Pony Express or whatever, though, right? Well, the Pony Express did exist, but they took the, the New Year's off. What I did find, they had beer shops, home brew shops. I didn't know they existed. Someone should have told me this a long time ago. I went to the Falcos in uh, Houston, the old Morningside's place. And I walked in with my wife, and I walked in, and the bells went off the Fireworks sounds it, and I just looked around, my mouth dropped to my knees. And she said, just buy the biggest kit they had to get it up with. <laughs> just do it now. And I did. And we made a kit beer out of that. I got a hydrometer. We made that. We made two kit beers. And then we came back, and I said, you know, I want to do something a little different. So we had a little, little tea bag to, you know, you can spice it up with a little grain. That sounded sexy. I got home. I got a little tea bag. Now I'm a little, little English guy going, ooh, dip my bag in the water. <laughs> Yay, tea bag. Uh, and I didn't like that. And so I went back and said, this isn't working for me. He said, well, you can do all grain. I said, what's involved? Well, equipment. Let's do it. So about my fourth batch of beer, I went to all grain. and never turned around. And what it did is allow me to take my love of, of beer, uh, my love of culinary arts, I love to cook, and my love of history, because I love history, and put them all together. And my buddy of mine, Dan, came over, and we, we brewed every week, I said every other week, for 18 years, roughly. Wow. And, and you know, it was a brewing week, and then we took a week off. And we came back and we bottled and then we brewed again. And it was a nice Saturday. Uh, we we start in the morning and we brewed a batch of we bottled and we brewed a batch of beer. And then about six thirty seven o'clock, now I have dinner ready for us and we eat dinner and then play a little game with the kids and everything afterwards. And it was a nice little Saturday, relaxing. Uh, we went outside to brew. My wife early on decided she didn't like the flavor or the smell of hops, so <laughs> I started cooking outside on on a fish fryer, which is easier and faster anyway. My wife hated uh, the smell of fermentation. Which is pretty much impossible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unlike I do. Yeah, my wife was not that unreasonable about it. She didn't like the exploding cardboard lids, but that was a different story. Mm-hmm. You know, it was always hit the explosion and hit the deck. So we did that. I brewed home brewing for from two thousand to two thousand and eight, roughly, in a little place called BJ's. No, no, Bradley's. Bradley's. BJ's is there now. And I was sitting there drinking a beer as a brew pub, and this guy's inside struggling to pull grain out of a mash tun and slipping and he just having a miserable time and he fell down and i got up went around the door i was like can i help you he goes oh i it's just i'm struggling i said i don't mind helping you guy he goes i can't pay you I said, that's fine <laughs> so i helped him with the mash tun and everything we got three we well, you want a shift beer i said a shift beer what's a shift beer is that kind of like a lager or is that an ale or what is a shift yeah, beer? Styles ass what's on the hook? uh and i found out that at the end of the shift you got a beer for free i said well this this works out so I did that for about a year and a half. I'd help them out here and there, and I'd get a shift beer or two. Yeah, not a bad deal, I learned. And then in 2005, we opened a candy store, candy shop out here at the Renaissance Festival. And about the end of 2006, we realized that candy's okay, but alcohol, uh, adults have the money, and alcohol's where it's at. 
Especially out here. Yeah. So, so he said, what would any Renaissance festival have? Uh, it would have a brewery or a winery. Distilleries were kind of run, run, not really common back then. Wine takes too long. I'm just not, I'm impatient. Uh, so we opened a brewery. We didn't find a name for the brewery, and we went to the Renaissance Festival and told them we want to open a brewery. And they said, you can't sell beer uh, because uh, beer's all, it's like a mafia. No, no beer. So, okay, well, well, we'll just do classes and demonstrations. And they said, okay, you can do that. So for three years, we did, we were in a copper kettle, oak mash tun, sand timer, we gave, gave away samples, and sold glassware t-shirts. As a point of reference, that's not a good business plan, by the way. I was going to ask you where the revenue came from in that model. Um, it, it didn't do very well, but I had a plan. And it was kind of weird because I told my wife when we started out, I said, in year three, we will go to them and tell them we're going we're gonna to do alcohol next year. She laughed. <laughs> You're crazy, drink man. Drink your, drink your beer, old man. <laughs> uh, and at the end of the third year, I went to them and said, look, next year, this is not working out for us. This is not a great business plan. We want to be able to sell alcohol, brew alcohol, be a brew club. Before you say no... Here's all the free advertising we brought in. Every article, every newspaper, every TV, every interview we've ever done. Here it is and monetized by current advertising values. So this is roughly 29? This is the 2007. We opened in uh, 2009, yes. No, 2010. 2010. So like previous to that, they what? Had a bar serving Miller Light somewhere probably? Yeah, there, there was all big beers out here. Okay. It's all always out here. So in 2011, we opened up as a brew pub, and I promised we would, we would not hurt beer sales or shift things or cause any problems. We would just brew a beer and then sell it. In 2011, we opened up. We got lucky. We were on the front curve of the craft beer wave. Yeah, in Texas, saying? for in sure. Texas. Uh, so we were one of the first ones out here, and we, we shifted the way beer was sold at the Renaissance Festival. People took the notice real quick the amount of volume of beer we were going through. We were brewing a two-barrel system. We were brewing twice on Saturday and twice on Sunday. So we were getting eight barrels a weekend, uh, and we we're going through every eight barrel and back. And up front, we were doing our copper kettle oak mash tun, brewing ten gallon batches, putting it in the buckets and back, <laughs> and selling those back to the public too. So we were doing uh, a twenty gallon, ten gallon batch on Saturday, and ten gallon batch on Sunday. Kind of like as a display out front, or doing it as a display. But we're we're cheap bastards. We are. Well, if you're gonna make it, you might as well fucking <laughs> ferment it. Make it for a minute. <laughs> uh, so we would do that and sold them back. So you know, we did. We went through thirty barrels first year. Really? Yeah, we, we caught attention. In what? In, two months? Uh, in Well, back then it was uh, 17 days. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We, 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 we drew attention to ourselves real quick. Uh, and then we, we kept producing and, and we started next year and we would brew ahead of time uh, and get a lot of our beers ahead of time, the bigger gravity beers. And we just expanded out. Uh, in about year five, everybody else started picking up a craft beer and then now we see a craft beer out here now. So all the, the other bar places, essentially? We, I'd say we, you know, I'll take credit for the shift in pallets in Texas. Okay. Uh, why not? No, we just got lucky and, and, and that happened at the right time. 2013, we worked with the Guild to get them to change the law to allow pubs to sell off-premise so we could brew our extras and sell in the three-tier system, which helped us produce year-round. Nick is basically you couldn't do anything outside the festival at that Correct. point. Couldn't do anything at all, but still not bad. You know, you do, you do 40, 50 barrels of beer by the keg, by the pint, and and in seventeen days is not a bad, bad amount of money. Uh, sure, you can live on that uh, if you don't go crazy on equipment. Especially at Renaissance Festival pricing. <laughs> yeah, you know people people complain about that, but I will tell you that they're beer, also paying it everywhere else. Yeah, well, they're paying more actually. If yeah. you go to Reliance Stadium and see a ball game, yeah. you're paying twelve, fifteen bucks for a beer. Last year our beer was eight, and, and I will tell people now they're going to be surprised this year with going up. 
to nine, and you can thank me. Everybody want to go to ten. I said, no, no, they can't. We can go to ten. Let's go to nine. One dollar this year and maybe dollar next year. But so for a pint. For a pint. That's not that ridiculous. No, it's not. It's I, a really good deal. I'm in a tourist city in downtown New Braunfels that has that's a historic downtown, and there are bars that have that markup. They'll, there are bars that are selling. I've seen an eight dollar porter. So. Yeah, a pint. I, I, I yeah. can see that. Uh, and we have our Dragon Mug Clubs. You buy the mug. You get the mug full of beer the first time, and after that, you come back to dollar off the pint price, and you get two more ounces. You get 18 ounces for $7. Yeah, last year, $8 this year. That mug pays for itself real quick. So that's how we got involved brewing. Okay. Long story. So, I, now this is obviously a unique in, in, in situation in the sense that you're you know, obviously on a festival grounds, but uh, how did you go about financing? I assume you, did you, you didn't build the building. We bought the front building. We got a really good deal on it. It's 47 foot of frontage by 31 feet deep. Building is, and it's got another 40 feet behind it deep. And we just were in the right spot at the right time. Mm-hmm. We pitched the letting us do the brewery to the owner, uh, and he loved it. Because, you know, you, you won't find a brewery like us anywhere in the world. To my knowledge, there's only one other brewery on the Renaissance Council Grounds, and that's in Pennsylvania. <laughs> and they are not brewing to period. They used to be having a brew pub that backs up to the Renaissance Festival. Oh, okay. So, to my knowledge, in the United States, we're the only one doing traditional brewing techniques in the Copacabana Oak Mash Town Sand Tower and sell back to the public. Uh, period. As a business plan, not a great deal, trust me. And that's not, not the way to go. But it got us in, we're a niche market. I, mean, I used to be afraid to say that, but you know what? We'll own it and, and, and ride it out and, and proudly and wave the banner. We are niche. We, are, we have a great, loyal following, and we just do it with passion. We opened the brewery up, and our goal was to promote craft beer across Texas. And we have Texas class every Saturday and Sunday where I invite other breweries in, and we highlight their beer for that, that class. And we try to pick new breweries uh, that are starting out and some bigger ones, too, and let the public see them and know them. And we did that since day one, and we will continue to do that. We believe in promoting the industry. It's, uh, it's something important to us. Our motto is, life's too short, drink bad beer, and we truly believe that. Yeah. There's, there's three kinds of breweries in the world. Those that have dumped beer, those that will dump beer, and the worst category is those that should have dumped beer. There's a lot more than that. Kind of yeah, one. and yeah. then that's just that's the way things are. So it's a, we're we're a unique operation. It's cool. So how did you pick the beers? Because you also don't have a light lager that I'm aware of. You don't. Um, we, we we do not have a light lager on tap here at the festival. We did one in Pasadena. Okay. We started out bringing only historical beers. So our English and Scottish uh, are both reverse engineered to the 15th, 16th century. So what I did is research uh, looking for recipes, what would be brewed, and I couldn't find them because, by golly, the proprietary and the bastards didn't write it down. Mm. Probably couldn't read either, so it wouldn't have done him any good. Here, read this. Duh. So what I did was I found on tax records. Everything was taxed. So by taking the tax records of what was bought in grain and hops, they didn't know about yeast back then, and the amount of beer sold to pubs, that's a calculation, algebra calculation. Get an idea what the gravity should exactly. be. Exactly. And yeah. you know what the period beer should be and what they're doing. They didn't do a variety of beers. They were just doing a single beer per brewery at that time. It was not these 45 flavors from each brewery. If you brewed an, an English ale, you did an English ale. If you did a Scottish, you did a Scottish. And by doing that, we could calculate out. And I followed 20 breweries over 20 years and took the first 10 as a, as a calculation and then applied it to the next 10, and it fell true. So I pretty well can say that our English and Scottish reverse engineered the 15th, 16th century. Light and alcohol, both at about four two four one. Uh, a little hoppy for that period, as hops was starting to begin to be used in the 15th century. 
uh, we're looking at 1916 IBUs, not very hoppy, and we do low carbonation on, on both those beers. So we started with those two, and those are to period. And we brewed those. And then we had uh, each year, each weekend as a different theme out here. So we do a seasonal for each weekend. Each, each weekend gets a special seasonal with it. Yeah. Oktoberfest is the first weekend. We have Oktoberfest on margin. We should brew in March, and we serve it in, in October. Uh, and then we, uh, the, uh, for other other weekends, we do other varieties. We kind of, after the first two years, we kind of branched out from traditional beers. Uh, we, have, we have a barley wine called Dragon Hill, uh, and we started doing other things. Uh, our best beer is a Black Plague, which was done because uh, somebody said I couldn't do it. They, they came in, saw your beers, or light and alcohol, light and hops, and you can do manly and dark and heavy. I said, well, that's not really what was done in the period we're looking at. Uh, and so you can't do it. I said, sure I can. You got bullied into it, huh? He said, I bet you hundred dollars <laughs> you can't. I said, okay, see your money. And I called Brad with some the production manager at the time and I said, Brad, we're going to do this. He goes, uh, we don't brew that. That's, that's, I said, I know we're going to do this time. Went back, we brewed it, came back and I said, come back in four weeks, come back to the end of the festival. And here you go. We brewed uh, 10 gallons of it. It's fantastic. You win. You're right. Here, <laughs> here's your money. Give me all that. We sold out. We sold literally out in about 30 minutes. Of ten gallons, and we went up to the next next year. We came back and we started brewing it intentionally. It's called Black Plague. The name for the period matched up. It's a dark beer. It's got a lot of sweet residual sugar left over. It's ten point four percent alcohol, eighty six IBU. Believe it or not, got hidden in there. It's designed to be drank at night. You go to go to bed in front of the fire. High Wait. alcohol and high IBUs. That's what we're drinking now, and it is uh, surprisingly smooth. And yes, yeah, it'll dangerously sneak, smooth. It'll sneak up on you, uh, and it has. Uh, so that that's been our our best beer. I probably have two black plagues a year. I'm yeah. not a big black plague fan. It's a high gravity beer, and I put it in a bourbon barrel, which we do occasionally. Then I'm your then your man. I'm right there with, with you. The other one you have in front of you there is our green ogre. We were a teaching facility. It was made by accident the first time. Yeah, and, how do you accidentally make an imperial IPA? Well, you have an you have an apprentice who instead <laughs> of putting 0.6 ounces, he puts in six ounces. Oh shit! I have a 13 alpha hop. And when Brad brought it to me, uh, we play a game. He brings a beer to me, uh, samples, and says, I try to guess the hydrometer reading because brewing on a kettle with no thermometer, not always accurate. Yeah. We shift around a lot. So the deal is, I know what it should be. Can I get it exactly on, on, on the money or not? And about three quarters of the time, I get pretty good on it. I looked at it and said, Brad, this is, um, this is green. <laughs> We're a Scottish brewery, not an Irish brewery. Uh, he goes, well, guess what it is? I said, it's hops. I can see it floating around. I'm not, I'm not stupid. It's fucking hops. I can see it. What happened? And he told me the story. He'd been an accident. So, oh, is it in bed? And to me, in bed means we put the yeast in it already because mm. yeast is expensive. We pitch new yeast every batch we have. Really? Yeah. We're opening a brewery out here, and back then we weren't. We were brewing in, in buckets, and it was challenging. Oh, trying uh, to reharvest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I said, "Yeah." He goes, "Oh, you want to throw it out?" I said, "No, no, no. It's we already spent the money. It's in the tank." At that point, <laughs> we'll ride it out. Let's just see what happens. Yeah. I mean, no, don't throw it out. So on Friday nights, it came up, and we would pull all the sample out of every tank, test them, make sure we're at. Let's hear everything about this. So, oh, this is horrible still. Wait. So two weeks come by, and he goes, here you go. So you want to do that? It doesn't get any better. I said, no, it's not. It's not mellowing it out at all. And we only have eight weekends for fair, and we've already gone through two of the weekends. We only have six weekends left. <laughs> it's not going to mellow out in time. Tell you what, put it in the bright tank, carbonate it, and bring it out around 10 o'clock in a wooden <laughs> cask, and we'll tap it. He says, okay, big boy. And he brought it out at 10 o'clock in a wooden cast. And I made a big DL out front. And we tapped the sucker out front. And we said, manage approval required. Do not manage to drink this. It's too hoppy for you. And uh, we sold out. 
people kept asking for it and asking for it, asking for it. I said, no, man, it's horrible. It's 120 calculated IBUs. It was a horrible beer. No. So the ask Lord asked us to find I'll recalibrate it and re- reformulate it. And I made uh, a malt four. It is 9.6% alcohol. It is 9.1% on the alpha content. That's um, a shitload. That's a shitload. But it's Murray Malt Ford. And to me, uh, the beer I could drink when I'm finished working is Green Ogre. It's my favorite beer we do. Now, I can't drink several of those and do anything else. It's not almost, you know. Might like, limit your productivity. Yeah, it does. It does. It does. But it's a very drinkable beer. Dry hop cascades. You get enough sweetness in there to balance that, yeah. that bitterness. So it's the up on you. But you it didn't help in the finish. It's a hop explosion, but it doesn't ruin your taste buds. It does not wipe you out. It's not in and off your teeth. And to me, that's the best beer we do. People say otherwise. They, they we'll go through seven barrels of that in eight weekends, as opposed to the Black Flake. We'll go through twenty barrels, twenty-two barrels. And for people listening, to barrels it has uh, two kegs, two point fifty one gallons, thirty-one gallons by the pint. Well, roughly uh, two hundred forty pints per, yeah, per barrel. It should be two hundred forty pints, something like that. You hope that's, that, <laughs> that, that, that's the target goal. You're not too the, drunk. You're pouring it. Well, I've seen, I've seen people pour, pour the foam off. What are you doing? Pour the foam off. No, sir. But you got an inch foam. Yeah, inch foam is fine on the beer. Give it to him. It's fine. Yeah, it's it, part it, of the flavor it, profile. It, it, it'll settle out. Exactly. So, how did you pick the beers? Uh, it sounds like you had some, obviously, some mistakes that have turned into mistakes your big and beers. You got some them dares, but you make one. I think it's called Renaissance. We have Renaissance Missile Ale, and that's uh, a and ESB, that, essentially. That's counts. ESB exactly. Yeah. We, we took our English Ale recipe. And bumped it up to more modern style. So we added more hops to it and we bumped the alcohol content up. It comes out at about 5%. And you look at about 32 IBUs, right? So it's not, it's not, a, it's not a huge, not a hot, a hot bomb for you. And we have that. Uh, then we have uh, each weekend we got a seasonal. We cut apples, apple ale. We take our English ale and we basically put apples into it. We do a pumpkin ale against my better judgment. <laughs> people want pumpkins. I love pumpkin. But pumpkin belongs in pie, not in beer. You can't, you can't pull the purest thing in Texas, dude. <laughs> no, I know. So, so, but you opened the door. So, which of your beers has lactose in it? I forgot. Uh, none of my beers have lactose in it. Believe it or not, we we did one once because uh, one of my apprentices wanted to do it. So, apprentice works with me for a year, year and a half, two years sometimes. At the end of their apprenticeship, they get to do a recipe, and I get to have prove it first, and they brew it. And the question is, will it sell? If it sells, you pass. If it doesn't, you flop. Life's so it's a, not just brewing ability, it's commercial viability. Yeah, it's commercial viability, yes, yeah. yes. Anybody can brew a beer. Right. If it tastes like crap, who knows? Who cares? Uh, but it's got to be able to be sold by somebody else. So I see. So we do that. We've got our Dragon Ale, which is an, a, a barley wine, basically. We've got a uh, Eric Ambassador clone we call Castle Cazar, and it's a blatant Eric Ambassador clone. I like Eric Ambassador. It's, it's one of my favorite beers. Bitter and boozy. And- yeah. It's, it's just beer I love. In fact, it's kind of a weird story. We said the candy booth out here. And one weekend, uh, we, end of the day, I was taking off at the end of the day, kind of resting, and my daughter wanted to go get something to eat or a funnel cake, and I said, okay, we'll go get a beer also. And uh, we went to the, well, the Prince of Wales pub here, and 21 year old, but we didn't know that. And we walked in, I stay in line for a good five minutes, get to the front. I said, I'll take an area bastard. The lady goes, you have to leave. I said, why? Well, you have a daughter with you, and she's underage. Now, we walked by the cop. He said, hi to both of us when we walked in the door. I don't uh, understand. I, well, they have the 21 only. only. Oh, she had to leave. <laughs> yeah. Like, wait, I'm not going to send my, my six-year-old out by herself right. at a festival. Not in this crowd. No, no. So we both left. And the way out leave behind me, she goes, what did you want? I said, I want an Eric Ambassador. I will buy it for you. She said, it's bullshit. They just did to you. I said, I'll pay for it. She said, no, no. It's on me. 
my my very first time my daughter got thrown out of the bar and I was with her. It's, it's, a, it's a proud moment of dad's life to she be got, thrown out of the bar with her daughter. She got kicked out of the bar with dad. Yeah, yeah. Nice. When she's six years old. <laughs> it's downhill from there. Look at that. We've got we do a what's called a fairy effects ale, which is a honey ale. We serve really, really young. I don't like it, but my wife, but the only beer we brew that she likes, mm. uh, it's a short term. We do it in seven days. Really? So it's very, very sweet. It has about three and a half percent alcohol to it, but it, it it's a honey ale. It's a very ale. We do that, and then we do a bourbon barrel age. We'll put something either a English ale into bourbon barrels, or I'll take Black Plague and bourbon barrel age uh, for Pirate Weekend, Roman Weekend. I couldn't find a good Roman beer because there's not a good Roman beer. <laughs> Any beer in Rome is actually German beer anyway. It's all German lagers. Oh, really? Peronis, that's all That's all German lagers. Uh, because Italy's not known for beer because they had more grapes than they had grain to spare. So we do it as uh, an Irish red and call it uh, Killian's Wall. So we do it one each weekend. It's fun. And then we do have a, a lager we do. We did a Pasadena. And this year, I think we're going to have tank space that I'll be able to get in the tank for the last weekend. Oh, I know what else we do. We do a thing called Man's Best Friend. We partner with KZ and E out of Bryan College Station, and we brew a beer, and we've been doing it now for five years. And I asked the DJ, what do you want to do? He says, I like vanilla porters. So we do a uh, vanilla coffee porter. All the proceeds go from that to support long term adoptables, and they adopt pets out of kill shelters and find homes for them. That's cool. So that's, that's for the last three weeks, uh, Friday, Saturday, Saturday, last weekend. So that's the basic lineup? That's the basic lineup. When occasionally do something crazy, um, you know, I've got a little more tank space back there right now. We've got, besides the complicated oak mash tun up here, in back we've got a stainless steel commercial system two barrel. And I've also got a brew boss, which is a basic home, home brew setup. And I can do 15 gallons of other beers back there too with three fermenters. So we'll do two barrels, two batches off the front every, uh, and then we'll do an extra whatever we want to do for fun in back. And we'll probably do some fun things this year with that. Well, I want to ask you a little bit about kind of how you sell those in places outside of here. So like distribution and potentially packaging. But first, I need to get up and stretch my legs. So we're going to take a quick break, come back, and we'll get into that. Sounds good. All right. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking with me. So I feel like I've seen, for sure on your site or whatever, I've seen bottles. You guys have bottled before, right? We do have bottles. Okay. So do you bottle consistently and do you bottle everything? Do you distribute those? Those are my questions. We bottle it fair. Most of our beers for takeaway here as a brew pub don't require label for approval. Oh, sure. Uh, We do have approval for label for Black Plague. And that is sold in bottle shops and other places too, stores and whatever else. In a 500, I believe, right? In a, a bomber. Yeah. Uh, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, and unfortunately, the industry's gone away. Well, the industry hasn't. The customer's gone away from bombers. Because for a, a brewery or brew pub, a small scale, it's a really nice package size that you've got enough package cost and label cost and beer cost that you can still make a decent profit as a product and the customer feels that they got a value out of it. Yeah, for somebody small, even for us, the uh, the 12 ounce thing, I, I fought that game for years and I finally gave in. So, it, I mean, it worked. There was a period of time where I was selling dramatically more and I could not have sold that much without the bottling line, without the packaging materials that I had purchased. But, but your profit margin, is, is, it's like nothing. It's so, well, if, when we went through distribution, I think if you self-distributed well, and or sold on site, that's part of it. Yeah, yeah, but you ain't selling 900 cases no, on site no, either. No, so no. we had to go to distro for that. And what ended up happening is as soon as demand ebbed somewhat, if you get a 20% pullback, you're long on inventory and supplies to the extent that you're kind of fucked for the year. Right. I mean, you get sure. a, a profit. So it's it's a tough game to say the least. It is. And, and cans are, we, look, we thought of going to cans this year because you can buy a, a canner reasonably. 
You were going to buy your own canner? Hand, hand, hand canning. You know, you can yeah. do uh, Oscar Wilde, Oscar Blue, whatever. Oh, um, sure. The, and, the Crowler size. Right, October, Crowler size. You can do any size. They have the similar smaller ones for homebrew. Homebrew is now can. Who knew? Who figured? Dude, I don't, well, I'm, you guys are near Houston. I don't know if you've seen this, but Houston, and I don't get around, but at, more so than any city I've seen, the homebrewers are not only canning, they are selling their cans. Yeah, yeah. Which is an interesting. It's yeah. illegal. They well, like they don't seem to be worried about it. There's, well, no one, they're tagging each other, and there's no one's decided to get them. Get off the floor, wake up! I be with that bad. Get up, get up. <laughs> Guy has one black flag and falls down. Yeah, no shit. Uh, so we do that, and then last year we got uh, a thing called Twisty Cans. Last year, it's a thirty-two ounce can. I'll share in a little while, uh, and it basically it's a aluminum can with a two soft lid. Oh, I have seen those. Yeah, uh, we did pretty good with those last year. We threw off tap and we go. It's kind of like a growler. Because last year with COVID, we didn't throw growlers because we were worried about uh, lack of knowledge probably on our part, to be honest with you. We weren't sure what COVID spread was and how things were being passed on. Well, so, nobody was in your so, sense, but yeah. So to bring something across the counter into the brewery, unknown with infection, we didn't want to do that. We do sell growlers. We've always filled in the past. Last year, we didn't fill growlers. So we got a twisty can, which is a 32-ounce can with a twist-off lid, which we could fill as a growler. And they can take it home. We put a little seal on top and they can take it out of the park. Packaging's tough. Yeah, it was just to go back to the bombers thing. That was a big part of what our failure was. We we stayed in bombers too long, even though the market told me in 2017 that it was coming. That was our problem. We opened our passing location in 2017 with the idea that the bomber sales would pay for everything. And they did for a while. Mm-hmm. And by the end of 2017... Stores to stop picking bombers. I was doing two pallets of bombers a month, which was paying all the bills. Everything else is profit. Hey. Yeah. I, I hung in there too long and got stuck. I think it's stuck. I and mean, we had the beer, we could sell the beer, but we no longer had the bomber market. It, it dried up and went away, basically. Now you can still sell some here and there. Some bottle shops will take them, but it's limited to the point that it. You sell two or three cases here and there. You get, but you have to do a whole bat, uh, exactly. batch. Exactly. So at some point, those the rest of them sit there. And by this conversation with a distributor once who was not doing a very good job, I had explained to them, like, you guys have to understand your ordering. Because it wasn't my product at this time, it was somebody else's, but you guys have a 30% margin, meaning that if you buy 10 cases from me and you're stuck with three, you made zero money. Right. And he looked at me, he didn't quite understand what I meant. <laughs> anyway, huh. I'm like, yeah, so look over there. All that shit right there is why you can't write me my check on time because you went long on IPAs and right. all these different things. And so at some point in time, yeah, math is not one of the things that most people in our industry love. And, and I don't love math either, but I know it's part of my job, so you got to learn it. What did you wind up doing? I, with Bombers, obviously, when you first went in, especially, you sell into a bunch of stores. You've got a little bit of trickle here and there, but let's say it takes you six to nine months to sell through a case, and then they don't buy another one or whatever. Did you get sort of screwed that you were long on inventory and had stuff sitting there, or were you able to pivot early? Not really. And in fact, that we have only thing we have bombers to sell in the market is Black Plague. So a year old Black Plague is probably spot on when you want to have it anyway. Yeah, you could probably charge uh, a buck more. Yeah, you can the price yeah. of it and sell it. Black Plague is in a Russian Imperial Stout. And to me, it's best at about six to nine months, maybe a year, year and a half. We have some customers sitting longer. I will tell you that if you're one of those customers and you've saved it over two years, you're on your own. Hmm. After about two years, I don't want to guarantee anything. But I've had up to five years been tasted okay in the bottle. After five years, we found it doesn't really hold true, but no, it's a different product. I'm sure you get a little bit of oxidation at yeah, that point. Yeah, you do, no matter how, how good you are. Five years in a container. But for us, Black Plague at a year was fantastic. So we didn't get stuck with product and we could sell it all. We just had no more income coming in to help 
provide paper things. We'd made a mistake in Pasadena. We had tried to get it a location earlier, and I was hesitant. I'm Scottish by, by ancestry, and I'm, I'm maybe Jewish by blood, but not knowing so. I, so you're I'm, an angry I'm a, I'm a cheap bastard. <laughs> I'm not really Jewish, but there's somewhere in there, there's a Jew in the family somewhere. Because I don't like spending money. Yeah. Uh, if I can make it myself or do it, we will. And that can be benefit and can be hurt sometimes too. My experience in this industry is you wind up getting things that don't quite work right. Sometimes, uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. I've done some things, you know, walking coolers I can do with a with a cool bot and a window unit. You're fantastic. Uh, some things you don't want to chinch on and you got to learn which one's which sometimes. We looked and looked and looked for a location and uh, didn't want to go in debt horribly. And we had two locations that were supposed to go good. Both fell through. Uh, we had one to see the report, and they did not understand mathematics. <laughs> and literally, in the middle of the board meeting, they were going to give us a grant for $490,000. Great. We were going to buy a building that was theirs. They valued it at 240000 I wanted to have it appraised. They didn't want to have it appraised because I knew there was problems with the building. In the middle of the board council meeting, I asked him, I said, well, the problem with the building is got asbestos. I said, no, we abated that. You abated it in the bathroom. Yes. We're about the rest of the building. Oh, it's not there. The bathroom was built when? The rest <laughs> of the building built at the same time. The tile was built in 62. The walls, everything's got asbestos. It's got to be abated. Also, if you had the building owned by anybody else but the city, the curbside space is entrance is too large by 15 feet. And you would have closed them down and find Well, Which yeah. you to me. Yeah, yeah you're to me. I want to take it. And then another problem, the biggest problem is this $490,000 grant you're going to give me, you only pay it back at a 1% interest rate. It's not a grant. It's a loan. It's a loan, yeah. So we made an impasse. Boom. So, so city council didn't understand. And the grants, what grants are. Yeah. Uh, and then the city of Pasadena, we had a great place with them. It was fantastic. And we looked at Pasadena LaPorte because we live in that area. All the crew live in that area is while we're looking at that area. Pasadena had a 1932 post office built like a bunker. I mean, it was a bunker with a cellar. A fantastic building. The upstairs had like 25-foot ceilings in it. Had a historical lien against the building in the state of Texas. We worked with the city to buy the building for $130,000. I was in a corner lot in the old downtown Pasadena. Everything was done fantastic. I had to go to uh, Austin. We worked at the Historical Society, which had demands. We met those demands. And we're able to get an permission to go ahead and renovate the building slightly and open the building up. And the very, very last meeting we have the city, they said, do you want to have a new water line? We're bringing in water lines to that area. Do you want an eight or six inch line? I said, I'll take an eight. Always take bigger. Yeah, I especially always, with water. I can always downside. More pressure is better. Yeah. And uh, they said, okay, is there anything else in the building? And this little girl in the back of the room raised her hand and says, uh, what about the food? I said, well, we're a brew pub, and we plan on having food trucks come out and a parking lot about little grass area back there. We'll, we'll do that. No, you have to have 51% be other than alcohol. I said, Excuse me, they weren't allowing a brewery in general. Yeah, I, I said, What do you mean? Or she, a bar? she says, Well, the area is not wet. I said, well, Two things here. First of all, y'all brought it to my attention the property. Number two, y'all said I could do that. And the city manager, wait, 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 stop. What's the thing? He says, Well, wet, wet with conditions. He goes, yeah, the condition wouldn't allow him to do it. She goes, no, 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 no. The condition is it has to be less than 51%. I said, well, I can't do that as a, as a brewery. Does my product I sell under the three-tier system count against me? Yes. Well, and, and even if you were a restaurant, like this is risky. At, at some point, maybe your sales so, well. Who knows, right? We already signed contracts and everything else. And I said, okay, then here's the problem. I said, I'm invoking clause 
on the second paragraph because you knowingly lied to me. So anyway, so we have a contract already signed and the second okay. clause says no alcohol, no food required. Oh, that's a mistake. I'm sorry to hear that, but you lied to me. Your mistake, not mine. <laughs> so go down to paragraph four, it says double the money back invested so far. Went around and around and around, went to the mayor and talked to the sort of other people and they said, well, you know, you can sue us. So that's fine. And the guy looked at the contract, he goes, who wrote this contract? I said, my lawyer did. Why? Well, you told me to draw a contract up. My lawyer drew a contract up. Y'all signed it. Yeah, that seems kind of weird. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry it's weird. Who, who did the contract? Uh, my lawyer's name is Nazarene. Oh, and the city manager is, is that a problem? as well, I went to school with her. I suggest we come to understand. Can we just pay you what you got put into it without the penalties? Yeah, that's fine. Just give me money back. There you go. About 10 grand. We can call you and go home. Call the contract and I'll avoid. The manager goes, no, that, that's ridiculous. He goes, no, 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 you want to. He goes, well, who is this Nava person? He goes, well, you want to tell her or me? I said, I'll tell him. She's uh, our lawyer. He goes, well, we'll drag it out in court. That's fine. My lawyer works for free. Her day job is she's a contractual litigator for a small company called Slumberjay. And we'll pay you. So we get out of that. But it was a great location. Two, uh, 4,000 square feet first, 4,000 square foot basement on a corner lot. That sucks. It was fantastic. So Did we it were, ever become anything else? Do you know? Uh, they recently sold it for, I don't know what to do with it now, Something, some kind of business. They, they had renovations. They go put all kind of things down there. There was coffee shops coming where He posted uh, the signs and everything. And it was really going well to renovate the entire area. Oh, they couldn't put a big sign out front. But they had just agreed to put a flagpole either side of the pole of the street <laughs> and raise a banner up across the street so you can see it from the freeway. That's cool. It was really going good, except for that one small technical detail. Right. So we were kind of snake bit, and we, we finally said, look, I can't keep production up in Pasadena. At, at the Renaissance Festival, we're running out. So we found a location in Pasadena that was a basic industrial complex with a 3,200 square foot bay. And you said this earlier, but I missed it. Why were you looking in Pasadena? Well, we live in the area. Okay. We were looking at Deer Park, Houston, uh, La Porte, Pasadena. All my crew lived down there. It's not exactly a craft beer mecca. It's not. It is not. <laughs> but the idea at the time was... Uh, we could put a, a seven-barrel brew house there. I got a, a six-barrel system, actually, from uh, Colorado Brew Systems, uh, $17,000 system. Really weird. Two brewing baskets, three barrels and three barrels. Hmm. So you could do beer A and beer B at the same time, or you brew two baskets of the same beer, six Is barrels. Essentially set for double batching? Yes, or, or do single batches. And we set up, we could do both those and run to our, our system. We, we bought... Uh, two fermenters and a, and a bright tank, and then we leased six other tanks. Ugly, grungy looking things. They were terrible. Looking, yeah. But, but they're functional. They get the job done. They did a good job done. And the idea was that we could brew our beer for the Renaissance there and go in the system. We were putting bombers in the market then, and the bombers were paying for everything. So everything has a profit. Problem was the bomber market fell out. We didn't have an outside area for seating and a very, very small customer tap room. Will you plan on moving 100% of brewing operations away from here? So we have space or just because you needed more capacity? Well, we weren't going to move 100% here. We were going to brew during season and keep the kind of the historical stuff up front and brew our, uh, all the historical stuff here, but brew all the bigger batches somewhere else. Because our two-barrel system, it's I mean, it's hard to brew 25, 26 barrels of beer. Yeah. On an Imperial, any Imperial IPAs or uh, the Black Plague, Christian Imperial Stout, that's a, to brew two barrels on our system back there is a 12-hour day. Yeah, well, just to get ahead of the season, too. Yeah. You, can, you know, have more uh, capacity there. So, be able to get more capacity and then be able to get us in the, in the stores and bombers and systems. 
And then here we could do our, our smaller English and Scottish Yales that would be historically accurate and, and other things here. So 3,000 square feet that you got down there. Yeah. Decent amount of fermentation space. How were you distributing that? I we assume it distributing. Wasn't. Did you hire somebody to do it or were you doing it? Uh, here's what I found out. <laughs> you can laugh now. You know, <laughs> what, you know where I'm going. You know where I'm going already. I can tell you know where I'm going. I found out that I'm a great brewer. Well, arguably, I guess you would say that. A decent businessman. A, a, a okay inventor, a decent electrician, plumber. What I am not of all things, I'm a great husband, fantastic husband, fantastic in bed. Stripper. I, I, I'm yeah. a good stripper. Yeah. I get paid well when I strip. And when I sing, I get paid to sing. You paid to stop. It still counts. That's you get, double. You, you, you're getting paid, yeah. What I found out is I am not a good distributor. I'm not a good salesman. That's the one thing I cannot do. I found out that you can't do everything yourself. So, I'm actually curious to drill down this a little bit. Um, specifically, what is it about the distribution side you didn't like? And I'll preface that by saying that uh, I have a sales background. And the career that I had previous to brewing was very sales heavy. And I would consider myself to be very good at overcoming objections and qualifying for the sale. And I fucking hate craft beer sales. I can't. I hate it. it it's miserable. And, and I, there's a lot of reasons for it. And I'll tell you, we can go into detail why for me, but point of this podcast to find out what, what went for you, so I'm more curious on your side. So. Well, my background is not in sales. I've got a strange background. We're going to discuss that later on, but I have a wide variety of backgrounds, to be honest with you. But stripping and singing, obviously. Stripping and singing is my <laughs> best on my resume, <laughs> top of the line there. What I found is that I didn't like having to go into some place, and I apologize to anybody out there I'm going to offend right now, and trying to get a 22-year-old guy behind the bar or a girl to explain to them why my keg is so much more than Budweiser and they need to have it. Were well, you dealing with a lot of that? Even stuff? Well, yes. you were in Pasadena. That's yeah. part of it. And Houston area and stuff. Yeah. Uh, now, on the other side, we had a lot of people call for beers. So we were distributing in Fort Worth because they called down mm-hmm. for it. So we were bringing six, seven kegs of a black leg up there every, every, every two weeks. So we were distributing. I just didn't, I don't want the cold call. And then what I found out also is I can't do everything. I can't brew and distribute. And that distributing is a full-time job which requires the right person to go to that bar at least once a week, if not more, to is walk it, in and make sure that your beer is still on that tap and it's still running and there's any questions. And then you got to do the appearances and, and go through and buy beers and play the game and, and fight for tap space. And it's just something I found that I, I can do it. I, mean, I can do anything, to be honest with you. That sounds cocky, but it just it's just not one something I can do. I, can do, I, I can't do everything. And the, the, all the things I can't do, that's not an area I'm good at. Well, I apologize that uh, you're already on the spot, so I don't feel that guilty back. I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot. What is your sales pitch on why your keg is more expensive than my life? Well, first of all, it's quality product. They're brewing on, on bulk standards. So if I was brewing 80,000 barrels, I could buy larger quantities. But the bigger thing is I got more grain, hops, and taste in mind than they do. Do you remember what the price was for, or maybe still is, for a half barrel? I, last, for Budweiser, I think? No, for yours. Uh, for, for mine, back then, we were looking at a half barrel of Black Leg was uh, two fifty. <laughs> shows you how much the market's changed. You can get three fifty for a seven percent. Oh, no, fucking... this is this is seventeen. Yeah, this is seventeen. Yeah, no, uh, you, you can sell an IPA that's seven percent alcohol for three hundred fifty bucks now. Oh, I know, so, I know. And actually, Black Crack was five hundred for a half. Yeah, I know. Six hundred. And and we've actually uh, recently I had somebody call for a beer of the day, and I gave them a price, and they I think fell off the chair again because all of our products got about twenty five percent increase. So now you want to buy a keg, you're looking at about five hundred five hundred fifty bucks. Yeah. Get a cake, yeah. And is that because the costs have gone up so dramatically for you, which they have for everybody, it or has, because no, you no. aren't trying to distribute as much? So you're here's the sound really bad. I hate 
I hate charging you for beer. I hate, I hate putting a value on that beer and charging you what I wouldn't want to pay myself. And that's a, just part of my inside self. I'm not a good salesperson. <laughs> that's that's why makes you not a good salesperson. I'm not a good salesperson. No. <laughs> my wife says the exact same thing. So. You know, here, buy this cake. By the way, I wouldn't pay this money for this cake, but <laughs> you should buy this cake. I wouldn't buy this cake for this money. It's just that our costs have gone up 25% at least on our stuff. And to you know, just bake even or have a somewhat of a profit, I could probably more reasonably charge 600 bucks for black bread. Yeah. Craft barrel. You wouldn't sell it. And right now, we're not distributing much outside of fair. Kind of hunkered back, withdrawn back, and just doing here right now. We do have some distribution out there through a distributor. We have guest taps here. Where do you distribute to? We're in Bryan College Station through uh, Jack Hewitt out there. So, we do have some. Anheuser-Busch distributor, I think? They are the Anheuser-Busch. Which, you know, devil incarnate. uh, But we had an option when we started selling beer here. They had done a good job selling beer to us. We have guest taps. Mm. And I've seen how good they had customer management and everything else and when we changed the law in 2013 the gentleman came in and said well the law changed you can distribute you want to distribute for you and i said okay that was our, that was our conversation yeah uh and they did a decent job for us it's just that the bomber market dropped out and there's not a lot of profit a keg growing small you got to brew volume it's, it's a volume game for it is. yeah uh, so for us instead of selling a keg to you at a bar for 600 bucks i can sell it on tap here for nine dollars a pint and happier kill it yeah so is there a specific reason why you decided to self-distribute after having that relationship when you went to pasadena i we would did, have to think you we did legal. but well Pasadena is legal because the Pasadena we were in no guest taps sure so we could self-distribute there and the thing was i, I wouldn't leave the 30 percent on the table so you didn't have a choice here kind of in a sense yeah so, okay yeah. i'm looking at right now that the way the law is now i think that a brew pub when you don't have guest taps can self-distribute so we're looking at next year Self-distributing off-season. Yeah, so the rule is supposed if you don't have guest taps, you can self-distribute up to 5,000 barrels, but Correct. you have to have a distributor to do 10. Correct. But yeah, I guess beer, unfortunately. So, so for us, I'm looking at the fact that with the new structure of the it's going, and I have to file a, a report every month, retail sales. That, I fucking hate that report. Oh, I do too. That's, <laughs> hey, don't miss it. It's expensive. I know. It's like $500 a day. They get serious about that. That the, the months we don't have beer on tap here, we can self-distribute. So we're going to push that envelope the rest of the year. Yeah, I yeah, get it. Yeah, yeah. We're going to we're going to push that envelope this year, which kind of like works for your business, anyways. If you think about it, like, yeah, you, you can't get it during Renaissance Festival. Why? Well, come on out, visit. You'll sit, exactly. It out. No, exactly. Yeah. No. Makes sense. And so, anyways, back to what you were saying with AB, though, like, and that's one of those things that I agree that there is that almost feeling like you sold your soul to the devil. But I have partnered with many distributors, way too many, unfortunately, in the state of Texas, and I can say beyond a doubt that we work with Tri City and New Braunfels, which is the Anheuser Busch distributor there. They have their shit together in a way that nobody else that I've worked with does. So. It's it's about the people in the brewery. And here's a prime example. There, there was a – I'm not going to mention names here. If you're in the industry, you'll know. <laughs> there was a distributorship that did a lot of craft beers. And the owner died. And the family sold the business. The quality of distribution for those beer companies was dropped off the scale, just bottomed out for a while. By the people who bought that. Mm-hmm. So it's all who you're dealing with. We were with them once, also. Yeah, and, and <laughs> yeah, we won't name names. I don't want to be sued, but uh, <laughs> they do have some money. They do have money. More than I do. <laughs> and if you know, you know. You don't know, then that's too bad. Uh, it doesn't involve you. But and they've gotten a little better. I had runs that, that particular company at, at a festival. We used to pull permits. We haven't done it since COVID. We would pull a permit to a festival. We did Houston Frickin' Festival mm-hmm. for four years in a row. But we pulled the permit. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, I remember. I did that. 
Uh, we did the Brian Perkin Festival. We did that. We used to do a Mardi Gras. Look, we did about five years of that. We pulled permit. We bring other beers in and everything else. Uh, so I've dealt with them uh, and have problems dealing with them also. Just getting receiving product. And I'm, I want to pay for the product from you. Right. I want to give you money. Can you give me the product? No. Well, why not? You said you could. Well, I think what I understood, they kind of stopped distributing here for a minute or something. They, they had a good rep in, the, in your market and then he left. I, yeah, they did. And, and they, I heard it's gotten better. Yeah. Don't know. But that's that's the problem with distributorship. Another thing is that you leave thirty percent on the table at least. You give them sugar. I've had distributors that have done as much as thirty two. So uh, I guess I sold my brewery, so I can tell you, Full Clip does thirty two because they do thirty percent margin, but then they bake the taxes in on top of that. So their taxes they have to pay going on top. Right, so it's right, effectively right. a tax rate. Of, right, right, right. Or, or, I'm sorry. I and I've seen them dead for, and I've dealt with several breweries, and we, we used to sign. Here's a big problem, I think. With the way the laws are, we used to get them to sign one day distribution contract, which is t- try that one for you. No shit. For festivals. And I've dealt with some distributors that would sign a one day contract with me. And if you don't know if you're out there in Texas, if you sign with a distributor, it's, it's for life. Franchise law. Yeah. yeah. They, they can sell you, but you can't just leave them. But it's worded backwards. It's, uh, you can't cancel. You can only cancel if both people agree, which means they'll never agree. Right, so, right, yeah, it's right. Like, so we would sign a one-day contract. It says well, our contract is sitting here to here. TABC hated it, but I had a good lawyer, and she wrote the contract, and they were going to do it. And what basically says that if both parties agree, we just pre-agreed to the end of the contract the day after it existed, or for two weeks. I mean, yeah. we would pre-agree not to have that contract anymore. I'd be really curious to see if you could get them to do that today. No. <laughs> um, they really, that really, um, the bottom fell out of that. So as yeah. a result, we won't, we will not take part in the the beer festival in Austin for the craft brewers guild because I can't get distribution down there. Mm, yeah, no one there would do it. Right. So, see, I think the distribution laws should be changed. That based on barrel age, you can substitute. Period. So that I could do or at least give me a festival exemption. You could do one cake per festival. Especially, and I think if the festival is a money maker, that's one side. But if it's for nonprofit, yeah, then it's all, yeah, right. I think that's a little different. Yeah, there should definitely be some loopholes for that. There, there should be, you know, so I can send a cake to wherever because I'm not going to distribute beer in Austin. I'm going to New Valley or El Paso to go to a festival. I might want to send a cake out there. I might want to go to. I like El Paso. I used to like El Paso in a while, but that's one of the weird things about the, the distribution rules in Texas. I'm sure you could find a distributor to lock up your distribution rights in perpetuity I'm that you sure can send a keg once they in a while. Would yes, yes. In indeed. fact, I might know somebody that would do that for you. <laughs> yeah, it's just not worth it. But yeah, it's about leaving money on the table. That's why we did Pasadena, so we can do festivals and, and I can sell distribution in Texas that way. That was what it was mainly about. Yeah, no, it makes sense. One thing that I really want to get into with you is kind of your approach to brewing overall and. and one of the mistakes I made in the book, mistake six actually in the book, was if you fuck up, don't dump it. Touched on that earlier. And so uh, let's take a quick break and let's come back and talk about why, when, and how you dump a batch of beer. Okay. Fun conversation. So hey, where are you kids buying your grains? You know, back in the day, we only had two options and each of them knew it. When there isn't any competition, things like customer service and aggressive pricing just don't make a bit of sense to the big guys' bottom lines. But Brewery Direct has given lots of fucks about their customers since the day they sold their first bag of grain back in 2016. They sourced grains for quality and grains for price. And as an extension of Johnson Brothers Bakery Supply, their access to unique ingredients and brewing adjuncts is simply unparalleled. And now, with warehouses from Washington to New Jersey, you've got no excuse for an overpriced or unimaginative grain bill. You can't make great beer from any old bullshit, and Brewery Direct knows that. 
They have great prices on great grains and offer great service to great breweries of all sizes. Oh, did I mention the free shipping? Check them out at BreweryDirect.com or just type BreweryDirect into all of those social medias you seem to like so damn much. All right, welcome back. Appreciate you hanging out with me. This has been fun. I have a feeling that what's, um, what you're about to tell me is not going to be as fun because <laughs> I, unfortunately, all too often was in the third category that you were mentioning earlier as the guy that should have dumped more beer than I did early on. So now I would say 2017 was the turnaround time where we got real aggressive and dumped a shit ton of shit down the drain uh, to the benefit of the brewery. But unfortunately, the market at that point had already had four years of knowing that we didn't always dump things down the drain that we should have. Walk me through how you set your parameters. Obviously, you're a very methodical guy. You're an experienced brewer. How do you taste something and be like, look, dude, it's supposed to be 99 IBUs. This is 81. And what do I do? Right. There's two ways to approach that. And here's a, it doesn't matter in the end of the day. My name's on it. And we're a small enough brewery that people know who I am. So that so I cross my counter, my name on it, and that's me. It better be drinkable. It better be something I can say, yes, I made that. Now, we've made some mistakes, and we sold some beers I didn't like. We sold some infected beers. But I'll tell you up front, hey, this is sour. Right. There you go. Yeah. Have fun. Oh, can we get some more of that? No. Make some more? I could. I know what, what the problem was, but no, we're not going to make any more of that. So, we have not dumped a whole lot here. I think it does. It matters a little bit if you're a brew pub, and it matters, matters a little bit less if you're a brew pub in a place where most people are pretty big, well, shit-faced or wannabe. Is that well, part of it, maybe? But Maybe so, but I have more... Yeah, as you should. I don't, I'm not trying to say um, You know, my dad always said this. You know, you ain't going to be the smartest guy in the room. You ain't going to be the best looking guy in the room. But you need to be the guy that somebody says, I need somebody that I can trust. That's the guy you want to be. No matter what you do in life, that's the guy I want to be. I coached for a living for a while before. I started brewing. I was a police officer. I've been in the military, a special operations team. And I approach beers the same way I did a special operations team. My name's on that. And... If it's not going to be right, we're not going to do it. It's cost some money. Yeah. And, and you'll say, well, it's only two barrels at a time. I will tell you that the barrelage is the, equates to the size of the brewery, that a two-barrel loss for a, a small, small brewery is equally the same loss as a 240-barrel batch for St. Arnold's. And at well, some point, maybe higher, actually, for the smaller brewery. But. You've got to, you basically run the number, too, like because of the margin size of it. Uh, when you brew a two-barrel batch, that's retail price as opposed to right, distro price right. and package or whatever. So there's a lot more percentage of revenue, I guess, in a sense. So, so proportionally, though, it probably counts more because it's a smaller brewery. You don't because your production is smaller. So how do we choose? Well, we've had beers in the past that got infected, and I've tasted them and know this is gone. Most of the time, my my guys would say, Alan, oh, this is great. It's a great sour. We don't make sours, gentlemen. This is a fantastic sour. Okay, we'll sell it. Open the board. It's infected. Don't drink this. <laughs> and we will open the board. Brewer says it's infected. Don't want to drink this. This is a sour. And it sells out. Make some more. No. I think I saw some of those check-ins on Untapped, actually. <laughs> I warned you. It was sour. And you bought it. And yeah, I told you don't drink this stuff. It's just about who you are and what your name's behind. And, you know, I've been called an asshole. And I probably am. My wife will tell you that. But I want to be an honest asshole and, and stand up and be able to be proud. At the end of the day, when I, when I leave the earth, I want people to say, well, you know, maybe he didn't like me. Maybe he didn't think I was fantastic, but at least he was honest and tried to do his best. And that's what I go with. And it's done me well so far. We have a great loyal following. And I'll post on the board that this is not to my standard, and they'll buy it. And they come back, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, not to my standard, sorry. <laughs> and we have a very large shift sometimes. We used to. 
Uh, we used to do fermentation in a room with an AC unit, and it's hard to get control of the temperature volume mm. sometimes. We had a brief period of time that we had some, some seals fail some tanks. And like oxygen got in or whatever? Yeah. I think they didn't close it up properly, to be honest with you. Well, I had, uh, so the, in the very beginning, I had a two-barrel system, and I had uh, four-barrel fermenters made by the same company that makes those ones that are in there, but mm-hmm. obviously many generations ago, back in 2011, mm-hmm. they were complete piece of shit. I've got and two on the other side of the liquor tanks that were, one can't hold a, can't hold a seal. Yeah, they, one, they couldn't hold a seal and they couldn't hold pressure glycol. No. So no. Like they would, you yeah. could see, you put hook up the glycol and they start, like, yeah. developing. like, come on, yeah. man. But they've gotten better. Yeah. No, I, clearly that's a much better uh, well, design. Well, since then, I've, I bought, I bought four seven barrel fermenters from them in a bright tank, and they were fantastic and well priced. I would assume that he has hired people, and so it's not only just him making them anymore. I, too, I, so I, like, I would think so. Yeah. And one of those now resides at Spindle Tap. Really? So, yeah. I recommend you get Spindle Tap area. Go by, get a beer, ask the tank from Brigadoon. <laughs> They'll show it to you gladly. <laughs> they paid for it. It's theirs. Yeah. Uh, but it lived on. But it, it, it's a matter of, of choosing what, when, and how. Yeah, you know, we started out when I first started. We we tried. Plastic fermenters. Yes, we tried a two-barrel plastic fermenter. Worked great before we... I don't care what you do with plastic fermenters. At some point, you're going to scratch Nick or otherwise. There's no way. At that yeah. point, you've got a plastic piece of shit. So we uh, we make mixed culture beer. And so plastic right. fermenters are fine for us as they yeah. are for the wine industry. But I would never recommend anyone use them for pure culture beer at uh, all. Uh, y- y'all drink a beer that I probably... Well, I've had some of your beers. And I'm not a sour fan. I wish you say that. But... Yeah. Approaching it from a objective point of view, I found all your sours to be on on standing where you're shooting for. How's that? Is that, is that, is that <laughs> I hit the target. You hit the target for that. And that's the great thing about craft beer. Is there's a beer for everybody out there. Uh, just don't be what you're not supposed to be. I mean, don't sell shit that should have been dumped. Yeah. Well, I, I shouldn't be guy making a cream ale because I don't have any expertise or passion right, towards it, right? And people love the sours. I've just never been a sour fan. My biggest problem with sours, I think, now kettle sours, Blender Vices, I'm okay with that. I grew up as a kid. Um, we lived in Germany for a while, and my dad would get a blender viser, and, and even kids get something into this family. Yeah. You know, it's not abuse or anything, but Kindle beer, Kindle beer, Kindle beer. Yeah, yeah. uh, they take a beer and add syrup to it, basically. And depending on how old you were, the more you more syrup than beer, but you know, <laughs> hey, it's all right. It was tradition and style. To me, if you're infecting it intentionally, bugs the heck out of me. Yeah, because I worry about my brewery being infected. That would never happen to a brewery, aka Jester King. <laughs> Jeff would beg to differ with you, so no, just because we're on the air. I like Jeff. Jeff's I'll, a good guy. I will allow Jeff to contact you directly with his uh, – I, I can either confirm or deny. No, Jeff, <laughs> I, I like Jeff. Jeff's a nice guy. And their black metal was fantastic when they first came out with it. One of my favorite beers I had. I definitely have had the farmhouse version. I, think and it's, I, I don't like the farmhouse it's version. Not, and I like sour beer. It's just not the same. It's not necessarily bad. It's just, no, it's just it's different. Yeah. And you know what? Here's what I would say. King's done a fantastic job. they got a great location. They do good quality beers with that style. And it's just not my style. Which is the great thing about craft beer. It would be, for me, it would be super boring. Exactly. If, it's something for everybody. Yeah, it, it, it's just boring if every beer on the shelf was the same as if every person was a right. white Anglo-Saxon Protestant <laughs> from Pennsylvania. Like, we all could be different. Beers can be different. And, and I've gone different. to this place and knowing what I was expecting and tasted all the beers. No, it happened. It's the back of my head bothers me. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. I'm going to remember that. I'm going to keep like, I'm going to find ways to make you drink sour beer like that you don't want. And just for the rest of my life, you know, that will be my new I love Lambiques. And I want medals with Lambiques. But there again, you got watch the brewery, man. You can go to the brewery quickly with Lambiques. And you're getting a funk in there. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. You're yeah getting yeah. in deep. I did uh, 
two home brew competitions in my entire life and, and, and won gold medals and, and bronze medals with the beaks. I had different equipment for that. And then I got scared and stopped. I said, you know what? I'll just buy lemons and, and get over it. I like lemon beak. I like good lemon beak. And I like some sours. I just really, really, back of my head, go, you infected this on purpose. But, and it, so everyone's concept is different, too. There's a friend of mine that owns a winery here in Texas. Uh, we have half of it, William Chris uh, mm-hmm. Winery. And Chris enjoyed drinking my beer. We did some collaborations together. Every time I would bring him something, he would drink it. We would have to go out onto the slab out front next to the drain. We would drink the beer. He would pour it into one spot in the drain and dump like a gallon of parasitic acid right behind it. Just to right, make no, sure I, no I, Brett was anywhere. Probably the same way in my house. So if you brought something <laughs> to my house. I brought something here and said, thank you. Yeah. Well, I brought you some, but it's in a bottle with a cork on it. So you open it or hand it to I somebody said, else. No, and you know what? I would, what I would do with that bottle, I saw that. I said, that's probably for me, I hope. We'll see. I always like beer. And guest beers and, and, and things brought are fantastic because it's, it's given with the heart and, and creation. Yeah. And to me, what I will do with that, because I probably won't like it, is I will wait till the crew is here. And on Saturday night, we feed our crew. Uh, I cook for our crew on Saturday night. Yeah. And we have beer tasting. And we bring in several beers and bottles of beer from other breweries, or they may have found something. A lot of times people send me things or give me gifts. And this is a that's, that's a pretty good-sized bottle there for me to drink of a beer I may not like. So we will then open it up and share it between the crew. And they build their, their palates up, and we either try different things. And... There's some beers out there that I don't want to drink 22 ounces of or 32 ounces of. The four or five ounces, that's a fantastic. I'd love that. I don't even want, nope, I enjoyed that, but I want something else now. And that's probably a beer that I will save. I'll probably put that in the cooler and I will chill it down and may opening weekend. We will, uh, it's in three weeks. We will, uh, have that Saturday night and enjoy that. I recommend you share it. That, I'm one of the worst critics of my own beers. And so I'll be able to pick apart everything I've ever done. So, that is a top five beer right that's there. That's the same way I am. I told you why that black place is good because I can drink my own beer and go, oh, this is probably This is not supposed to be that. Uh, yeah, where it so, fell yeah. off when I tried yeah. it in the bright tank. It's yeah, like you never yeah, stop yeah. working. No, it exactly. Sucks. No, it's, and that's a hard thing going your own product. And I hate saying this. I like this. It's good. No, you understand. This is what's supposed to taste like all the time. <laughs> I lost that on the last two batches. But no, they'll, they'll enjoy it and we'll enjoy it. Uh, every Friday night, we uh, shotgun something and then saturday we have our meal and afterwards we have taste and i will i will video and see clip the video for the cruising results i appreciate that uh, because it's all about different variety of flavors but the guild used to uh yeah you guys belong to the guild didn't y'all for a while we did from, the guild we were at mbaa for a little bit too yeah. which you were president of, I, was, I, I was the president of mbaa which is kind of weird a small brewery president of MBAA. It's a weird different story i left the room one day <laughs> never leave the room go to the bathroom come back and get president we got the president of mba texas what do you know we're a team brewery Nobody uh, else wanted to do it. No, yeah. exactly. I lost my train of thought there, I was going to say. But you talking about the guild? Oh, the guild. They used to do uh, sensory, sensory panels. Sensory panels. Mm. And I think it's a fantastic thing. And people taste all these beers. No, they're all bad. But what's wrong with them? Bad in uh, what way? Sure. Exactly. Exactly. As you build your, your, your palate stuff. And what's good with it, what's bad with it, and taste it. And that's important. That was, if I could pick, there's two things I think that are the most wrong with Texas craft beer. One is the general brewer's inability to actually do that, to pick out the, not even just the off flavors, but the variants. So if a batch comes in with a slightly different ester count, like you need to know that. Maybe you don't, maybe it's within parameter and that's fine, but you should know and make a conscious choice to send it out because it's within parameter, right? And then the other one is yeast management. It just happens to be something that people just aren't learning. It's, it's 
buy it from White Labs, dump it in the tank, wait a week and a half, drop the temp, and you're good. Right. They don't test grass. You know, no. Some of them, I mean, I was, some of them do. I'm not trying to say it's the whole market. but it, And there's good and bad out there. I, I will say this, that as we've expanded, as fast as we've expanded, there's some good breweries opening up and some bad breweries opening up. And the bad breweries take care of themselves sooner or later. Uh, and the good ones will survive. Uh, unfortunately, we have lost some good ones too. We though. have lost good ones for various reasons. And sometimes you, a brewery fails not because of beer. There's many factors involved in that. It brewery, why a brewery, a brewery might fail, be successful, not successful. But unfortunately, there are breweries out there with bad beer that are successful. What I've seen is that one of the reasons I was glad to finally get out of the the beer ownership side or brewery ownership side is that I was getting angry. And I'm not going to name the place because I just don't feel like it. But I went to a bar or a brewery yesterday. And they were, you know, people were touting their ESB. And I told three people specifically prior to having the beer that I wasn't going to taste it because I am super picky about a st- styles in general. If you're going to call it a style, it better be the fucking style. No, it should be a style. I don't exactly. care if you no. don't. Just no, call, it, don't call something else. Yeah, if you want to make, like make a 40 IBU um, I, ESB, then it's an English pale yeah, ale. Right, it's not right. an ESB, right? It's fine. But anyway, people are like, no, seriously, you got to go try it. It's great. It is fantastic. And I can tell you unequivocally that it is dog shit. And I got mad because I'm like, why is the public perception of this beer great? And granted, I'm taking that from a place of public perception of my beer was bad for a while. And so I'm competition. But you're right, though. And, you know, it's like fruit beers. If I have a blueberry beer, if you, I don't do fruit beers, by the way. If you do a fruit beer, blueberry beer, actually has blueberries in it. Don't call, don't call it blueberry beer. No, no blueberries. Where are they at? Uh, well, they're there somewhere. What do you mean they're somewhere? It's a blueberry. First word, blueberry beer. Yeah, don't make it a subtle version. No, don't make it a subtle version. And I agree with you. This is our first actual meeting, but we've had a lot in common, to be honest with you. This is not unusual for brewers to have stuff in common. <laughs> Imagine that. Well, we tend to fall on two sides <laughs> of that camp. In fact, I interviewed Dean earlier uh, uh, from New Republic. Yeah, no, Dean. And he decided, he decided it was his mission to disagree with everything that I said, but on purpose in some ways. He disagreed with one thing. And so, uh, but not in jest, and it was fine. And, and I agree with his disagreement. He, he, he had a right perspective. But you know, it's a small world. He did tell me to tell you hi, by the way. I forgot I, to do that. I'm sure he did. Yeah, sure he did. About six years, I built a sense for him. I'm sure he did. Did you? Yeah, yeah I did. About six years ago, uh, we, were, we were at a guild meeting, and he said he had a room available for sale. Trying to find a tenant, couldn't find a tenant, couldn't find a tenant. I said, wait a minute, you're in Bryan College Station. I've got a daughter who's a freshman, who's going to be a sophomore next year. I told you she lived on campus the first year. So my daughter lived with Dean and Adrian for four years, well, three years. So and you know a side of them. I have seen. Oh no, I have. Yeah, no, I. Me and Dean have. Um, yeah, we're friends. We're gonna do a, a separate episode. And we're gonna call it uh, Dean's Undercarriage. You're gonna tell me all oh. the details. He's a good guy. I like him a lot. Like me and Dean did a good show together. And uh, me and me and uh, yeah, me and Dean and or uh, me and uh, Dave Fougeron, we do a great bit together. We've been through. A lot. <laughs> I, I interviewed Dave. Uh, comes out in season two, actually, which I think this will be season two as well. But all oh, right, season um, two. I made season two. Did, and I interviewed Dave on the, under the auspices of you know I interview a lot of fail breweries as a big focus of what we're trying to do, but also just trying to get the lessons. And I was like, you know what, Dave's been around forever. I'm going to interview Dave, and Dave's going to tell us exactly what we're all doing wrong. And he kind of <laughs> goes, uh, I, I don't know, man. Uh, <laughs> I was like, fuck, Dave. <laughs> If you don't know, uh, who knows? Like, uh, Dave is a. Uh, I'll tell you a story about Dave. We were at the Master Brewers Conference in Houston, and it was held at uh, Carbach that year. And we had to walk back to the hotel because we missed the last bus. We got lost in Carbach. It was terrible. There was an upstairs bar, downstairs bar, and a side bar. We kept stopping the bars and got lost. We just we were totally lost. And we were walking back, 
and and we're about half back to the hotel and did those. I've got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Dave, you cannot just go to the bathroom in the middle of the street. And we turned a corner and the porta potty appeared. Boom, magic porta potty. Dave knows a guy. Dave There's knows a guy. Definitely. Dave knows he a guy. He put money in the offering Dave, plate they, the Sunday they, before. Exactly. So you need a porta potty. And also, I've got thrown out of uh, weddings with Dave. Really? Yeah, we were at the same same night. We were at the hotel bar and we decided we need something to drink before we went to bed, of course, because we hadn't had enough to, at there. You need a nightcap at that yeah, point. Yeah, at that point. Uh, and uh, these people were giving out scotch, and we're drinking scotch, and just buying scotch for us. It's fantastic. And we figured out for after a while, it's a wedding. Great, right? you know, <laughs> no problem. And we took pictures and everything, and about about an hour and a half in, somebody comes over and says, who are you with? I said, oh, Mama Dave, Dave's me. Aunt Janine, you know, as we know, always say. Uh, no, who do you know here? I know Dave, Dave knows me. Now, keep in mind, we just walked in and sat down. We didn't try to do anything. We just sat down. Yeah. Apparently, we crashed a wedding reception. And did not realize it. And it took them an hour and a half. We were in photos of people that have no idea who the heck we are. Thank God for Photoshop. And we both got wedding parting gifts. And asked us to leave. Did you? Oh, yeah, finally. So the next morning, I wake up. And the only thing better is if you had caught the bouquet or something. Oh, that would be a fantastic one. <laughs> next morning, I wake up. And Dave's in the same position in his room with his wife. And my wife goes, what is this? Oh, the gift? It's a wedding gift. From what wedding? Well, so-and-so's wedding. Where were you at a wedding last night? No, you weren't. Well, I was at the reception. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a, I feel like I was there. Yeah, oh, yeah, we, we were there. So if you're out there and it was your wedding reception, me and Dave would love to come back for the anniversary party. We we love y'all and yeah. Martha and Uncle George, fantastic people, and Susan, you're good too. <laughs> <laughs> making friends. We were making friends exactly. Unintentionally. Awesome. I got off track. I'm sorry. Oh, Dave. Oh, well, there, uh, there is no Dean. track. So that's, uh, Dean, yeah. Dean's a good friend of ours. Uh, his wife is fantastic. I was sorry to see that they, he left New Republic before they failed. I think they failed because he left. That, that's my personal I told opinion. him the same thing. Uh, yeah, no, uh, Dean's a really good friend of ours. I've been in his house many days. Uh, we, did a, we did a firkin at Banyans in Bryan Call Station. And I couldn't drive home. Me and Fritz Rahr from Rahr and Sons and Dean were there. <laughs> I'd never met Fritz until this spring. Oh, really? You met Fritz? Fritz and is an awesome guy. Crazy. Oh, yeah. trust me. I did not realize. I always thought he was like 90 years old. Yeah, because I didn't know him. No. I knew his kids yeah. kind of ran it, so yeah, I thought he was, yeah, you know, yeah. old guy. He's he's older, but he's not he's, old guy. Yeah. I think he's younger than me, actually, but Fritz is an awesome guy. He's got the soul of a 21-year-old, yeah, for does, sure. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Anyway, we, we've been at Banyas. No one, we didn't pay for any beer, so I was not drinking, right? So I spent the night at Dean's house. Smart. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was good. It was like an hour. You guys are for an hour from there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, easily. But yeah, yeah, Dean's a good guy. Well, let's take a quick break. And then I want to talk to you about online beer reviews. And uh, I want to get your take on kind of the industry overall and how you felt about closing Pasadena. Oh. Remember when you had to buy film for your camera, take pictures you couldn't see or edit, and then pay someone to take two weeks to develop them into pictures? Well, there wasn't a better way then. But there is a better way now. Are you literally still measuring final gravity with a hydrometer like some furry caveman? Dude, you need to get AccuBrew. You'll find real-time feedback on current gravity, temperature, and even clarity. And the thing will alert you anywhere in the world when any of them are out of your spec. I'm tired of telling you to make better beer, so go install AccuBrew and make me shut up. Seriously, go to AccuBrew.com, follow them on socials at AccuBrew, or just call Parker at 727-685-9860. Your beer, your customers, and even I will thank you. If he were interested in anything his old dad was interested in, my son would say it's something like, y'all need to be fucking with PR. Your booze business is more than just an online profile. Fine, keep doing your limited can release and your meet the beer tender posts, but it's time to think bigger than just cheesy marketing. Better, more professional. Brittany Hanning has years of experience turning big ideas into targeted communication in the beverage alcohol business, and her PR firm, 
Metamezure Communications can tighten your image with expert services ranging from AI generation all the way to media relations. See, people in this industry love to talk about the importance of branding and media outreach, but don't kid yourself for a second. You need an expert to navigate that stuff. So go to the website at M2MCOMMS, M2MCOMS, look them up in San Francisco, or just ask me for Brittany's number. But seriously, stop screwing around and get your image right today. All right, welcome back. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for sticking with us. Before we get to the online beer reviews, I do have one question. We kind of skipped over it, but it was one that was important to me because it's, it's, it's a backwards question than I've asked anybody else yet. And so that's why I'm interested in it. And uh, so Pasadena had some struggles. Obviously, it wind up closing that tap room, which I think we're, we'll get to the details of in just a second. But what percentage of that do you think had to do with self-distro in the sense of if you had had a distributor that had taken your brand and run with it, would that have been to your advantage in your case? I think our biggest problem was I went to Bombers. And if I had gone to Canning Line instead, we might have still been functional. We couldn't function on taproom sales alone. And I knew that going in. We couldn't go into, into just taproom because it wasn't big enough. I mean, no outside area. So we're not going to cans when I should have gone to cans. I hurt ourselves. Now, if we'd had, we had looked at going to distributorship in Houston. If we had got a distributor we, and we were in cans, I would have been fine. Well, we should have gone to cans. Anyway, we, we, um, our biggest problem passing is that we plan on having bombers bake our, our bread and butter, and we didn't. And the second thing that hurt us was COVID. We came up at the end of our three-year lease in April of 2020. So April of 2020, I'm sitting, um, actually, I should say in February of 2020, we're sitting looking at, at, at the COVID incident coming down the pipeline. And I would already told my wife 23 years earlier, my opinion of what fixing to happen in the future. Oh, you predicted COVID? I predicted, this is going to sound so bad now. When we got married, I said, I don't want kids. I said, because when our kid gets to be an adult, I don't want that child in the world to happen. And I predicted several things that happened. I wrote it out for a piece of paper and put it in an envelope and put it away. Last January, she got worried. And last March, she pulled the envelope out and said, okay, what do we need to do? Because in the envelope, I said, there's a pandemic going to hit. 1918 was the pandemic for the flu. I said we're in, in, uh, in 2020 and 2022. In that time frame, the two-year period, we will have a, a pandemic. It's due. So sitting down looking at that, what I already predicted, other things that historically, politically had happened. And I'm not going to stress political viewpoints because I've got some strange... <laughs> i got some very serious viewpoints about political. But we, have, we have a officially peeled off the uh, outside of the onion at this we, point. We, we, we have. I but, didn't strike you didn't strike me as a nihilist in this whole uh, end of the world thing. I, I'm, uh, I have to say, I'm kind of enjoying it. Well, but. you know, my dad was a nuclear weapons specialist, and he taught us to prep. He said the world would mm. come in with bombs. Uh, I, I sheltered during the Cuban Missile Crisis, thank you, sir, at Air, at Air Force Base. Did well, you? Well, my dad checked all the bombs in the United States, flew the bomb station, the bomb station. That, yeah, we all could hotwire our car, produce alcohol, produce ethanol, everything to need to survive as a kid. It's a great thing for a seven-year-old now to do it. You could set them up for worse, yeah. clearly. But, but I, I, I saw it was coming down the pipe, and we looked at things, and I told Linda, I said, if what's fixing to happen is going to happen, we're in trouble. Because the passing location was, wasn't was going bankrupt, but the Renaissance location was carrying it. Sure, yeah. Which is not the point. It was no, the opposite. No, no, exactly. And our biggest problem was my own stupidity. We, we settled on that location, and we, we'd had an outside garden. 
Like I, I really thought all along a group of these outside garden area. We've been a fine. We were doing okay, but the our three year lease was up, and they wanted another three year lease. Hmm. I looked at it. and I went. I'm not sure we're gonna where we're gonna be as a world in three years. I'm not sure we're gonna be as a nation in a year and a half, two years. I had concerns about political actions that are going by, which were all predictable. Everything's predictable. It, it was always it's coming, and there's more to come. Now we just scratched the surface for sure. Oh, yeah, and we sit down and thought about it, and I, she said, "Honey, it's your decision to make." I, I will tell you that I've been shot, stabbed, blown up, and didn't cry those times. I came close to tears deciding to close the brewery, and you've done it. And how did that feel for you? I'll turn around. How did that feel for you to it, close your child? It sucks, and the reason it sucks is that you can never go back. So it's uh, it's final in the sense that for me, it was always if I if I figured out something a year later that I was like motherfucker, if I had just done X Y minus Z no, exactly. and divided no, by carrying right. five, um, no, that's it. You got it. You, there's nothing you can do. And so the rea- the reality is. I so I, I sold a brewery three weeks ago. I have never felt better. Where I was at, like that was it was a business that has been sucking the life out of my marriage, my personal life, yeah, my relationship will. with my kids, uh, and not in a healthy way, right? Like if I had had a job that ended at five and it sucked, it doesn't I could have driven home and then like had one beer and been able to hug my kid, and that right. wasn't what I had. I had a, a job that uh, wanted all weekend. A brewery's a baby. Mm-hmm. As a child, as we cared for twenty four seven, seven days a week. And so, I did it for almost 10 years, but there oh, came a point no, where, yeah. I, I, I understand totally. I, I turned the tables on you there. I asked that question. Because in, in April, I had to decide whether to close or not. I made the really hard decision to close. And I did not cry, but I did sit my back porch with a black plague and a large cigar and, and contemplate life. One of three black plagues of the year? Yeah, one of three black plagues of the year. And it was a bourbon barrel-aged black plague. It was actually a patient zero, which is one of the first breweries we did at Pasadena. So for me, it was... I, I, I guess if you don't know me, it doesn't. It maybe sounds. It maybe sounds uh, politically incorrect, but for me, and my wife doesn't love this either. It I, what I feel like is that I was in a relationship with someone for a decade, and it turns out she had been cheating on me, had another like well, boyfriend, lover. Like a, yeah, yeah like a, but someone she loved, right? And mm-hmm. so I realized that I loved craft beer, but craft beer didn't love me back. So I came to tears almost in April. I will tell you, last July. I sat in the same back deck and, and laughed and smiled and said, I made the right fucking decision. High five to that. Uh, yeah. yeah. Because we would not have made it. Uh, at the Renaissance, we own the building. Uh, we own everything here, basically. Uh, so we've got, you know, a couple thousand dollars debt here and there for grain or yeast or, or glassware or whatever else, which will pay off in the season. But if we close it tomorrow, we would not be destitute and have notes to pay off. And right, not a lot of overhead. Doors and, and whatever else. Uh, we closed Pasadena. Uh, we had some notes out. But you were uh, able to close at the end of the lease? Yes. That's a big win. No, no exactly. And we, we sold almost all of our equipment. Uh, we got a bright tank. If you out there want to buy a six-barrel bright tank, I got one for sale. <laughs> Just call me up. Uh, but everything else we sold and got rid of, and the beer we were able to sell, and we had great patronage. And I still have people call or email me or text me and say we missed the place. But our problem was we didn't have an outside location. And I was not man enough or I was smart enough not to try to weather the pandemic situation. We weren't even sure last year we opened the Renaissance Festival last year. It, it, it's not an easy decision to make when you have to tell a child you have to go. <laughs> I can't support you no more, laddie. Uh, so it, 
in hindsight, I wish we had got the other two places we wanted. We settled on the, the warehouse location. It was a tactical move. You know, it is what it is. I'm, I'm smarter and wiser, and we're still here. We're still functioning. We're still brewing, and we will see what happens. Yeah. Well, at the end of every podcast, I always say, mistakes are just weakness leaving your business. And so if it doesn't kill you, it did make exactly. you smarter. And in the Rangers, um, we always say pain is just uh, fear leaving the body. Same concept, but I wasn't a ranger, so no, that's all right. big wuss. And yeah. no, anyway, you brew sours. It's not a wuss. That's just <laughs> that's hipsterish. I think I don't know. it's something. I don't know <laughs> what the hell it is. I you could say it's a commercial suicide, but you know, I will quote uh, my my hero of, of all craft beer industry. That's Brock Wagner. When I first started opening the brewery up. I went and talked to him. And by the way, Brock is a, a fantastic guy. He has been really nice to small craft breweries and startups and everything else. It had to be, you know what? Yeah, you can make the argument yeah. that it's his competition. Yeah, it's right? his competition. Then I asked him that question when we sat down and we reached our talk. I asked him, I said, so how do you make money in the, in the beer industry? And he says, Alan, in order to make a million dollars in the craft beer industry, you start with two million and make a million. And, and he's right. It, it's You're constantly buying or selling equipment. Either you're growing or you're shrinking. Nothing's ever stable. You're always shifting and changing. And it's not easy. And I asked Brock, I said, do you have your brewer sign a non-disclosure uh, contract? He said, why? Yeah, it's got to hold up in court anyways. But I said, well, because your recipes. He goes, Alan, you can't reverse engineer my beers? Well, yeah. He goes, there you go. Everyone knows your beer. When they taste it, it'll get out quickly. I asked him, why do you want to help everybody in the craft industry? as well, because as long as people are making good beer, industry stable. When they start making crap beer, we're in trouble. The entire industry is in trouble. And along those lines, I will tell you that my personal opinion is that seltzers are the cancer of the crap industry. So I'd love to get into this, but let me just ask you a follow-up question about Brock first. So Brock, when, when was this conversation, do you think? That was probably in 2010. And there's many things that have changed, and I think, yes, that's, I think that's one of them. And I, I actually did not really talk to Brock. I did listen to some speeches he did, NBAA or whatever, but I have talked to what I would say is his younger brother. Which would be Dave for Southern Star. No, me and Dave go way back. So yeah. And so I think Dave is you know the second wave, right? Like he's he was also before all, but like oh seven and think oh eight. Dave actually started brewing at St. Arnold's. That's what I mean. So that's so, that's yeah, why I say he's sort of spin off. Yeah. Just in talking to those guys, like, when you look at the industry then versus the industry today, they had forty other breweries in Texas to talk to. Now there's almost four hundred. We may, if we get the correction that we need in the industry, we might be able to pull back a little bit. But we're targeting 10,000 breweries in the United States in the next 18 months. So there comes a point where I think that conversation changes, and it shouldn't, but it has to almost. And it probably does. I have to say that we got involved in the industry before it got blew up. In fact, uh, Scott Burwell at DeFalco's uh, tried to get me to meet Dave three years earlier when we first started opening up. I said, no, I'll make him up. I'll find him up. I find my Dave, oh, my God. He's my brother. We, we, we are literally... He's a cool motherfucker. We are, like we are, we are literally brothers. Our wives worry when we get together. Um, no, they seriously worry when we get together. Dave is is, is this, the next wave. And we started the same time Dave did. Well, a little after, actually. About two years after. But you're right. I used to have every brewer and brewery owner in the state of Texas, and most of them in the United States, by name. I could call them. I'm not bragging. I, mean, I could literally call them or email them and say, hey, I got a question, blah, blah, blah. And... I was the president of the Master Brewer Association in Texas, which represents Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, and New Mexico. And I would get calls in the last few years that would ask questions and say, who are you? Well, <laughs> so-and-so. How long have you been open? Four days. Okay, so I don't know you. Ah, but okay. I get calls all the time. People ask me questions. I'm now the 
the past president, I get calls all the time asking questions. Like, Who are you? I don't know. I don't have to come out. I do. Well, brew, I do brewery consulting also. It, it, it helps the brewers along the way. This is the first year that GABF just happened. If you're listening to this, whenever we are recording this at the middle of September, GABF just happened. And of the Texas breweries that won, it's three of them I never even heard of. Never heard of. And yeah. that's never happened. I've at least heard of them before. And I've known them. And, and I guess I'm more. I don't know. I mean, a tune or whatever. But you're right. It's industry's changing. We are due for a uh, correction. I think Copper Copperhead uh, may, may have said it best. They've stopped distributing, but you look at the beers in their tap room, and that sounds strange. But you know that's an old European model. When I was a kid in Germany, my dad lived, we lived there. My dad was in the Air Force. We would go to the local brewery. He'd bring a bag of bottles. I thought it was cool. He put the bottles on the counter. He got a beer, and we got two things called Sprudel, which is a German uh, soda pop. And he would drink his beer, and then. Magically, I thought his bottles were refilled. And we went home. I they weren't refilling his bottles. They just give exchange them. Yeah, yeah. exchange them. But he got a free beer while he's there, and we would sit down and drink and, and, and whatever, and go back. And that's what we're going to. It's local, and which is good and bad. If but, you're, I mean, if you're, it's, it's interesting and it's good, and I think that the, it's going to be bad because most people are financing, not expecting that to happen. So um, majority of breweries are not ready for that shift, and when it happens, there's going to be a lot of guys left in the cold. But you're, you're right. I, I do. I do brewery consulting. I people call me all the time. I ask them for their first thing. I ask them, what, what, "What's your budget? What do you have?" I talked to a brewery about two years ago, and we met at a bar before COVID. And uh, my first meeting's free, <laughs> and we sat down. They bought me a beer, and I said, okay, "What's your budget? Thousand dollars. What's that for? What's a thousand dollars? What's it for though? Put a thousand dollars set aside. Then stop. That's your budget. Thousand dollars." You can buy you one tank. You can't afford a license. No, stop yeah, the tank. Yeah. No, stop, stop the tank. You can't afford a license. I said, I'm buying the beers. And I, I get a lot of people call me. I have to destroy their dreams up front, which is good. Um, well, I had the opposite experience. I had a guy reach out to me this weekend. He found out that I sold, so I guess he thinks I'm a millionaire. Mm-hmm. And um, You are because you sold a brewery. And you know what? I want to ask you about uh, Salone for <laughs> right. well, some equipment I need to buy. <laughs> much like Brock said, I'll be honest with you, I, I was a millionaire before. And I didn't lose it all, so I'm still a millionaire, but it has nothing to do with this fucking brewery. Yeah, fucking luckily. <laughs> anyways, but the, the guy called me, and he was like, he's going to start a – he's a home brewer and part of the whatever. He's going to start a brewery. And he told me about a couple of places he was considering to open his brewery on. And one was 10 acres. He was going to do a 10,000-square-foot facility at one point. I'm like, there's no way he's got the money. I know what he does for a living because I'm friends on Facebook now. You don't have $5 million bucks, bro. No, like, and that's the problem. They don't realize it. They, they, think, they really think this. And another couple I did it a couple years ago, they said, well – we're going to open up and the money's going to come in. Right. And they think you start selling beer, the money comes in and you make millions of dollars. Five bucks a pint, just going to stack I, I up to the heavens. calls all the time. You're a millionaire because you're on a brewery. Well, I don't think you understand. We started with $4,000 and built everything ourselves, good and bad, and learned a lot of lessons along the way. We got involved before it was – equipment now is highly expensive. Yeah. When we started out, you could buy a lot of used equipment any place you wanted to go. There was dairies and people were trying to sell all kind of crap off. Remember uh, Sound Brew? Yeah. Yeah. You could buy used stuff too. Yeah. Like he may still be doing that, but at the yeah. time it was like that dude would get a system in and be on there for eight days and yeah, like, gone. Buy it. yeah. But things are changing and people think you're rich because you own a brewery. You may be a mayor. I am not. I'm a retired US Army. You can make the argument I, I was. I'm a retired right? educator. <laughs> we do it because we love it. We're not going broke. We built what we could and learned along the way you need to buy some things and you can't build some things. Yeah. And that's a hard thing to learn, which one's which, by the way. 
Um, Usually it comes with some trial and error. You it, try it, it and it doesn't work. It but. does. It does. We bought a bottling system. Uh, true story. Uh, I'll, I'll digress here. About 10 years ago, I guess we were at Disney World. My wife's a Disney freak. She loves this. My biggest kid's my wife. And we're in line for a, for a show. And I'm on my phone and answering emails and texts and everything. And I said, can I buy a bottling system? She was, can we, can we afford it? I said, not really, but we need a bottling. We need a bottle of beers. She goes, is it out of our money or the business money? I said, I think the business can cover it. I think. She goes, if the business can cover it, yes, you can buy a bottling system. Great. So I text back, boom, boom, boom. Okay. We own a bottling system. My daughter goes, great. It's about to now we got to get a line to go pay for it. I said, no, no, dad's got credit. She goes, with who? I said, well, we bought Southern Stars bottling system. Dave Vujon, she goes, oh, we're okay. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. We'll, we get back. We'll pay him wherever we can. Okay, no, we'll pay. And we pay when we get back. But breweries either buying or selling stuff. And if you're not buying and selling, you got a problem. And if you're just selling, it's just a point to where you want to really face reality. Yeah, then you're in deep shit. And unfortunately, I think we're set for a, a big. And maybe we're one of them. Maybe Brigham is one of them. Uh, you know, we're very insulated. In a we're way. a very unique operation. Yeah. We've got we see six hundred thousand people here a year on a good year, and of the six hundred thousand, let's say probably two hundred thousand are really good fans of ours, really good followers, and those two hundred thousand tend to buy one or one or more beers per person. Maybe they buy three or four. I'm not saying they're alcoholics, but there are kind of people <laughs> they buy yeah. our beer and they understand what we're doing, and we appreciate them. We used to post on Facebook everywhere we were going to go. We stopped doing that because they'd be there when we get there. And, oh, that's kind of creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Following you around. Yeah. But we are insulated. We're a different operation. You're sitting here in the brewery right now. It looks like, like garbage. We're off season. But in two weeks. So you got two weeks. We're not that far off season. You better get your ass uh, together. Oh, no. It's all looks bad. But in two weeks, this will all look different. Yeah. And I'll be in a kilt. I mean, we accent there, lad, and be a totally different operation. And we'll have beer flowing, and which is. Uh, Flipping tits. No, we don't Whoa. tits. What, what day is that? Uh, true story. I guess we're all, we're all not on a federal broadcasting, so we can... No. About seven, eight years ago, we were at a big old long line. They get long lines sometimes. About probably 40 people in each line, two lines. And we're going as fast as we can. This girl goes, can I ask you tits for beer? And my wife's next to me pouring beers also. And she goes, I don't, I don't know. Just, just get her out of the way. And she just pops her shirt up. And, I, and she and my wife goes, no, that's not cute. That's not real worthy. No, I'm sorry. Your wife said that? Yeah, not be a word. Nice. And they, and they weren't. They, they were not. I had bigger tits than it she did. It can't just be any tits. No, I had bigger tits than she did. And ah. I can see that at home anytime I want to. And so the girl about four behind that, we showed tits for beer. She popped her shirt up. And I, I apologize. This is sexist. It's probably the biggest set of double Ds I've seen bounce out unexpectedly. She deserved it. And my wife goes, that's beer worthy. Give her two. <laughs> that's the kind of wife I have, though. Uh, she owns part of brewery, too. <laughs> And tolerance has being a brewer, so toleration you have to go up with. Yeah, well, at least she's here, so she can keep you out of trouble when you uh, really go over the rails. You, you, you think so, huh? Uh, I mean, somebody has to. At least, you know, my wife has always been there for me in that regard. So, in some sense, I would say that uh, if I go off the rails and she's there, it's her fault because I'm relying on well, her. To- and, and you're right. My wife, if she's there, will tell me, Alan, it's time to. Put your tits back in your shirt, yeah, Alan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, me and Dave Fuzron get together, and then it's it, it's it's his wife's problem or my wife's problem or something's problem. She's like, yeah, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. That's funny. Well, I appreciate you uh, giving me some some insight into the industry as you see it. I feel like there's something that we're missing. 
And I don't know what it is. You wanted to ask about tastings? Well, I want to talk about online beer reviews, but do you want to talk about online beer reviews? That's fine. I don't mind. I'm okay. I do do one every every month. I hate them. I do one every month. I do one every every month on the air. Well, let's start with a good one. I don't know if you know who this is, but I talked to someone who is a fan of your brewery, but also has her own show. And so she, I think they haven't recorded in a minute, but it was Draft Uh, Queens. Yeah, Draft Queens. Yeah, I know. I know Sylvia. Hey, Sylvia, what do you remember about Brigadoon Brewing Company? Renaissance Fair kicks off in, I think, about three weeks uh, with opening weekend. That's always our, our, our favorite spot to spend kind of the last days of summer. I mean, it's still hot out there, but yeah, Brigadoon's our first stop in Renaissance. As soon as you, if you, if you haven't been, it, you have to go through the front gate and then just bust the left and just keep going left until you see it on your left. And it's, you know, maybe, I don't know, 500 yards or something like that. But yeah, that's our, our number one stop at Renaissance. When, and you guys used to have one of their facilities down by you, right? Yeah, so I'm actually in Paraland, but um, Brigadoon opened up their small tap room in Pasadena. This was a couple years ago. To be honest with you, as much as I get around town, I just never made it out there. I've always kind of felt like Brigadoon was the place for fair. That's where I spent my my beer ducats <laughs> on, on good beer. And so I, I never really took, took the time to think about, hey, let me just go over to Pasadena real quick. It was about a 25-minute drive for me. And it sucks because, man, they have good, awesome beer. Their, their Black Pig is probably the best Russian cereal stout in the area, hands down. A uh, little known fact is if you, um, I think it's the, the Polish pub, and there's one other spot in the Renaissance where you can get a bottle of Black Plague and you just carry it around fair, you know, in true style. So that's one of your fans from down south? Sylvia's been a, one of our patrons. I said, we have very loyal patrons, and she's one of them. But that's probably our biggest problem with Pasadena is that our loyal patrons didn't make it down there. She spoke about the Polish pub, not to discourage the Polish pub, but that's not available there. It's Italian Village. <laughs> the Italian Village is way back in the back, in the far side of fair, next to the elephants. And you might say, why so far away? Well, you're not going to work this far to get a black plague here. So we have black plague available back in the Italian Village. Makes and sense. bombers. Well, she was probably drunk. Oh, she's depends. probably drunk. Yeah. No, Sylvia's been a, a good patron here for probably 10 years at least. And I've done some radio shows with her, other stuff. Uh, she does she did the, the Saving Breweries thing tour for a while there. But she's right. People associate with fair, which at one time I got upset about. But you know what? Listen to who we are. Yeah, I, that's your brand. In yeah, a sense, so. I was at a national beer conference and uh, the gentleman from uh, Sam Adams was there and they introduced me to him, and they said, he goes, you're the guys at the Oak Mash and Copper Cale at the Renaissance Festival. And I went, well, yeah, that's great. You know, at least he knows who we are. At least he's heard of us. Right. At, at least Koch has heard who we are and knows who we are. I shouldn't be upset that it's because of the Renaissance Festival at Copper Kettle. And I got invited to his room for, for tasting Utopia, vertical tasting. He said, yeah, you any of your, your black death or plague? I said, plague? Goes, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that's, well, sure. He brings him up. We'll taste it. So at least we know who do know who we are. It's a blessing and a curse, I guess. <laughs> right. You know, as Sylvia said, we, we have a very loyal following, and it's great. Come in the festival, take a left, go to the women's bathroom right next to it, conveniently next to the women's bathroom. Oh, that's sneaky. Yeah, I know. While the wife's waiting, you can get a beer. Strategery, as uh, Strategery. Like I would say, that used to be our Exactly. Yeah. You surprised me with that, that uh, tape, but um, as I said, I stand by who I am and, and our, our name, and that's important. Well, I actually wondered, and I didn't want, wasn't going to ask her this, but I wondered that as I was kind of researching what had happened and how it went down and how much that might have actually played into it, where people's brand was, that's my Renfest place. And yeah. so 
yeah. much as they'll take a bottle home and want it at home. And I don't think that behooves them. Like they wouldn't like not drink it at the no no Jay Henry's down. But south I think or whatever, that is but. that is a, a problem we had to face. And that's this is going to sound cocky. Is it a problem if you're known for a location, and that's how they know you, and then they don't want to see you somewhere else? I don't think that sounds cocky. It's a it's a business question. So at the end of the day, I think it's a problem if you can't find a way to monetize beyond it. But and I think at yeah. some some point, yeah. It, You've got something of value. There's a brand recognition. And then how do you turn that into something of revenue? Would <laughs> be a whole other question. That exactly. You're the consultant. I'm the asshole that wrote a book on what not to do. So don't ask me. But I, I think that it's your job to figure that out. Uh, it, it's nice to have name recognition. And like I said, I used to fight it. But we are. We are a very niche market. Maybe yeah. It's insulating. It's got us where we are. You got me the president of Ashburn Association in Texas. So that's kind of weird, isn't it? Well, and it, it got you where you are, but it also got you to be able to open a facility that you had to close and you're still open here. So exactly. And most guys would have gone out of business at both places. And we're looking to – we are – rumor is maybe looking for a second location again. There's a rumor? No rumors. Well, well, my wife keeps watching the rumor, but it's a rumor. As, as your de facto consultant, I would recommend that you recreate something similar to this in that environment. But that's all I'm going to say. And then I'm no, going to shut the fuck I, up. And I agree with you. What I want is uh, about 10 acres. With a farmhouse and a barn on it, and a outside beer garden area. I know a guy who might be selling one. I heard that, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But that—that's the thing. I, I think for a brew pub to be at a brewery now to make it your destination. Like gone are the times you could be backstreet person in a city or wherever else. Your destination. Yeah, the warehouse, little brewery, and the shitty. Like, no, it's not going to yeah. make it anymore. You got to be. You're going to have a tap room uh, that people want to go to. You got to have an outside area. That's enjoyable to be in a year round. These kind of, kind of shady area stuff too. You have good beer or decent beer. And you have to have food trucks or a kitchen. There needs to be a food component for sure. And I prefer food trucks because even if you own the food truck, licensing separately, I think is intelligent. Because the food truck fails, health inspection, the brewery goes on. Well, that never happened. I know. I just gave you a copy of the book. Read chapter eight and tell me if you still agree with that. Because I would disagree wholeheartedly with food trucks. I fucking hate them. Well, you can own the food truck, though. No, if it's your food truck, it's But different. you need a license separately, though, saying. You can yeah. own the food truck. That's what you want to do. But license it as a separate entity so that the food license is not tied to the brewery license. Because I've seen a lot of cities with the, food, the health inspector for food is a lot harder than the brewery inspection is. Although nowadays, like what would save everybody from COVID is having 51% food. So well, at some point. We didn't do that last year. I guess you got some flexibility we, there. We sold beer at a cup to go fuck away. Here's a beer. Go the fuck away. Yeah, we, we loopholed it, and I'm sure the TABC would not have been happy, but we the city ordinance in your Braunfels is if you're, if you're not a mixed beverage, then you can sell beer to go and like walk around the street. Most of So we just way. sold plastic cups to go walk around the street, and people just, they didn't. They just kept sitting at our picnic oh, table. Yeah. And we're like, guys, get out of here. And they wouldn't listen. And like, what am I supposed to do? I don't have um, a crowbar. Like, we, we literally put a, a plastic cup with a lid on it, according to TMC rules, and then told them to go the fuck away. Literally. You're yeah. much better behaved than I am. Well, I'm I'm a rule follower. And if I'm going to break the rules, you never know about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and on that note, I think we're going to wrap up. So, um uh, Man, I, I really appreciate you hanging out with me today. Hey, there was beer. The conversation is about beer always, anytime. You had a hell of a perspective that I can assure you that uh, your involvement in the content of this podcast is not over. And I don't know exactly how you will pop up in the future, although I have with some beer. speculations. So, yeah, no, I, I wish you guys the best out here. And I, this is a fucking killer spot. I think it's awesome. And you need to come you, back, bring your wife and children out uh, and come enjoy it. 
do a podcast during, during the fair. We did that before. I've done other shows during the fair. What's funny, and it's not that funny, and uh, maybe I this out, but... It's hilarious. Um, Fucking hilarious. I'm laughing on the floor right now. So I just, I just, just sold the brewery, <laughs> and I've been drinking a lot. I forgot that my daughter is, is in soccer, and she's like a big soccer That's person. That's not good to forget that, son. She got injured. And she oh, had no. surgery uh, seven weeks ago. Oh, and so we, we don't have... Um, she was literally mountain biking and fell on the mountain bike with her knee bent. Is the only way that you can Meter carry a PCL. PCL? Stupid. But not the ACL. Nope. So That's not bad. Yeah, she'll recover from it, but it's still going to be... See, I know ACL, PCL myself. It's gone, totally. Really? Yeah, you pay for it. Don't worry. I'm, I'm 40% disabled better. I wouldn't take him out. Yeah. I didn't take him out. Uh, it was a small jump. It was a large jump, sudden stop. <laughs> but so, it, the point was, <laughs> well, we don't have soccer games we have to go to, or at least not. Right. we're going to the games but like right right right, 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 we we now have the fall off in a way we never have in the last decade and so uh i had after i reached out to you i was like oh do we need to go to rent fest with the kids they haven't been you do and um a week last weekend i was talking to my wife and i'm like hey we i completely forgot i have no idea i and now you just reminded me that i was that's what i was gonna say hey "Hey, Lindsay, let's go to rent fest so we're gonna go to rent fest come back out uh we have a root beer for the kids Make holy root beer is fantastic. Well, my son's here. seventeen. He drink beer. Uh, that's well, no, we can't serve a seventeen-year-old, sir. So let's let's clarify. The TABC law says you, can says you cannot serve a seventeen-year-old. We do not. Serve, you can with their parents. Do. You can. Here's what we do. We don't serve uh, with parents because they know that's actually their child. Oh, boom, I know. Boom, boom, boom. But that's the rule, right? It, it even I says know. in TABC. But it's it, our choice, though. No, but it says. You can sell to a kid if it's their kid, but if it's not their kid, you get in trouble. Right, but there's no so way there's to no prove it. Yeah. So we don't do that here. Yeah. So if I gave you a beer and you stepped out of the booth and gave it to him, that's a whole different story. But we don't serve children with adults because I don't know if you're. Do you serve adults with children? Only only single adults by themselves. All right. This this is on the verge of going completely downhill. <laughs> so I want to thank you for your time today. It's my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. You've offered a massive amount of advice and help to all of our guests, and I really appreciate that. Oh, they're, they're probably lost talking listen to what I say. Wish you all the best, and uh, let's let's start some real shit talking after I push uh, the unrecord button. No so, problem. Thanks yeah, a lot. Going. Hey, guys. I want to thank you for sticking around. I appreciate you spending time with my guests tonight today. Uh, a couple of housekeeping things. I want to remind you that my book is available on Amazon, both on Kindle uh, and in uh, paperback. And you'll see probably about another month there'll be an audiobook. So if you don't like to read and for some reason you're burdened with loving to listen to my voice, you will get more of that um, in that audiobook. Um, but again, thanks for sticking around and I look forward to the next podcast. Uh, peace out. See you soon.